Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and usually my co-host Kyle uh, introduce each other to movies, and uh, in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of June, and uh, here on the show we like to do a monthly event that we've been calling Tales from the Shelf. Um, And essentially what these episodes are uh, is basically an excuse for myself and a guest uh, to peruse our respective uh, physical media collection, uh, that being our film collections, and uh, just, you know, share some stories, share some war stories and whatnot. (laughs) Uh, And this time around, uh, I'm, of course, joined by a friend of the show, uh, Brad, from the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, Say hello to the folks at home, Brad. Hey, how's it going? And uh, Trevor, thanks again for having me on uh, another episode of Tales from the Shelf. Yeah, of course. I'm always glad to have you, Brad. It's always nice catching up with you. I'm a big fan of your show, so it's it's nice to be able to cross over once in a while and you know see if, see what's going on in your head outside of your program because it seems like it seems like you have a lot of thoughts on the side that don't get out on your show. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really saying something because I get a lot of thoughts out on the show. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's always great to just hang out and uh, chat for a little bit beforehand. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so we like to add subtitles uh, to the episodes, and uh, it kind of was by accident, but a lot of them have uh, clever alliterative titles. Uh, so, Brad, being as you were the one to name the episode this month, um, do you want to share what it is we're going to be doing? What's the title for this uh, month's episode of Tales from the Shelf? <laughs> it is the Nifty Name Stack. Nifty Name Stack, which I got to say, I'm surprised we didn't come up with a more clever name. But I mean, it works. It works. It works. I mean, it was all of five minutes of effort. And, <laughs> and uh, Brad, like I said, he was the one who came up with it. So if you have any completes, yeah, uh, complaints, rather, uh, please voice them at uh, Brad via his Twitter or his Instagram. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as we'll, we'll get into the details of exactly what a nifty name stack is uh, in reference to our film collections. But um, there was some recent news in the uh, in the media world that uh, Brad wanted to share um, and maybe explore today. Uh Brad, you want to give us an intro there? Yeah, well, um, our last episode was the uh, distribution disco, I believe, and so we were talking about all these boutique labels, and one that we didn't really cover too in-depth, because I actually didn't own any of their releases, was Twilight Time, and it just so happens that, I mean, I think it was just a few days after we finished recording, we found out that the boutique Blu-ray label Twilight Time uh, was officially going out of business, which is... uh, very sad for the the Blu-ray community and the film community because they did put out a lot of forgotten classic films. Um, so yeah, they're they're no more. They had a big sale on their website, and I did finally purchase some Twilight Time Blu-rays. Uh, not because I, I was looking at reselling them or any. You know, I didn't buy them for uh, you know the the value going up after they closed. I just there was some that I've been always wanting, and finally popped on a few of them. But yeah, it's a bummer and. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody talks about physical media is in its uh, last legs, and I don't know if I totally agree with that, but it's certainly things like this don't uh, help the case. <laughs> yeah, uh, Twilight Time was, was one that I know you, you had wanted to spotlight on Distribution Disco. I don't think that we had time for it, nor, nor did either of us actually own any of their discs, um, which speaks to the relative obscurity of the label. Um, 
It's really interesting. Uh, I, I wish I had known this earlier. Uh, apparently, Twilight Time is based in Auburn, Washington. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. I, I happen to be born and raised in Seattle, uh, so that's that's doubly that's doubly shameful on my part. So, <laughs> like, I let them die, Brad. <laughs> Actually, now that uh, now that we know that, would you mind uh, going to their uh, headquarters and knocking on their door? Because I still haven't gotten my order, and it's been uh, it's been a few weeks, so uh, I might oh, speed up the process a little. <laughs> hey, you guys fucked my boy, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. I know that with them closing, I'm sure they've got more orders than they probably ever have. So I'm not like, I've seen some people on Blu-ray.com in the forums are like, oh, I can't believe I haven't gotten any notification, da, da, da. And uh, they've been sending me an email every couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, mine still hasn't shipped. So I'm not worried or anything, but it's, well, it's maybe, okay. maybe a little worried, but. You're voicing complaints over. I'm picturing like an old man on an assembly line with a bullet in his stomach, just like (laughs) trying to pack orders, like "Eh, eh, going as fast as I can, and the orders don't stop. It's like their their business died. Give them a fucking break. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I I was really surprised about the people complaining about the uh, amount of time it was taking them to get their order. I mean, I think part of it is they were worried with um, Twilight Time because their thing was they only produced three thousand copies of each film. Um, so their worry was like, oh, there's only a set number of these films out there, these Blu-rays. So I haven't gotten my order shipped yet. Maybe they skipped over mine and I'm going to miss out on it or something. I think that's what people were worried about. But I mean, I, I trust them enough to, uh, you know, I've got I've got my ticket at the deli counter. I'm, I'm in line. I'm just, you know, waiting for them to send it out. <laughs> Brad's just steadily dinging that bell. Ding, yeah. <laughs> ding, ding. Yeah. You can see them coming up to the counter, and he's still ding, ding, ding. I really want to watch uh, those movies I ordered, and you know, for the life of me, I don't know if I could tell you one of the movies that I picked. I, I, it's been so long, I don't even remember. See, that was going to be my next question. If you, if you're keeping the titles under your hat, or if you legitimately forgot. No, um, there was a one movie had Michael Caine in it. Don't remember what it was called, but, you know, a young Michael Caine sort of like, I think it was some sort of action movie. And I was like, oh, I'll check that out. And I mean, that's the thing with these labels that I like is that a lot of the time when you're buying the movie, maybe you've heard of it, but you might not have seen it. You've heard good things. It's got an actor you like, a director you like. Um, But it, it, you know, it really helps you sort of like expand your horizons, I've found. So um, a label like Twilight Time Going Under is a a bummer because... Some of these films that I would never watch otherwise, they might not see the light of the day again. Yeah, uh, I'm just like browsing their catalog right now. And unfortunately, most of the the standout titles, like the ones that I do recognize and the ones that I would be excited to own in some capacity, were very much sold out by the time they're doing their going out of business sale. Yeah. But I mean, their catalog is diverse. Um, oh, yeah. And they do, they do cover some like some kind of off the beaten path kind of kind of movies um, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's always a shame when when a boutique publisher goes out because i mean truthfully a lot of these things as far as i can tell have been put out by other publishers but you know that there's i don't know there's a personal touch that oftentimes comes um from having a smaller label like doing doing the deed like actually putting the product out like, yeah i mentioned the sure. uh, anime ego uh their their discs are pristine and gorgeous and most of those movies are kind of schlocky crap anyway but it's like but you can tell they cared and i would suspect that's very much the case with twilight time mm-hmm. I, I think um, i've said this 
I think I've said this on the show before, but uh, you know, I'd much rather have a schlocky film put out in a gorgeous set loaded with special features than like you know an amazing film put out on a bare bones blu-ray like i i treasure the schlocky great release in my collection more than what is a great film on an otherwise lame blu-ray i mean i have a shout select disc for roadhouse yeah it's there you gorgeous go. <laughs> <laughs> it looks better than half the shit on my shelf <laughs> which actually i think uh, i don't know if it's out of print yet but those were i think that one was going out of print on uh, shouts website i saw as it should. Yeah. It's fucking Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying anyway. the price uh, might go up on that one. I'm just saying you might have you might have a keeper on your hands there. Brad, I didn't buy it to resell it. I bought it to enjoy it <laughs> and watch Swayze tear throats out. Damn it! <laughs> I, I, I don't buy them to resell them either. But it's nice knowing like you you got you have a friend over and you're like, hey, you see that Blu-ray right there? You know, you, nothing special about it, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, and you're like. That one going for $90 right now. I mean, you get a little bit of a power trip. I bought it to enjoy Sam Elliott's pelvic muscles and Patrick Swayze tearing out throats. (laughs) (laughs) And and my God, the hair. (laughs) And it delivers. It delivers. It delivers. Um, That being said, uh, there is an additional wrinkle to the Twilight Time story, though. Um, Did you... Did you mention what what's going on with their catalog here? Um, the Screen Archives Entertainment portion is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. yeah so yeah, <laughs> you want to dig into this one? I uh, I don't know how far I can dig because they kind of put up a digital brick wall in front of my face. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so if you glance at the uh, the Twilight Time Wikipedia page, or if you just Google them, actually, I think the very first article that pops up is uh, a little notice saying that in short order, pretty much is soon as they announced they were going out of business, Twilight Time's catalog was purchased by uh, Screen Archives Entertainment, who do not have a Wikipedia page, and who have one of the saddest, most antiquated websites I have yet to see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for dancing baby gifts. Um, I'm sure they're embedded somewhere in the code. I haven't seen them yet, though. <laughs> um, but they say, that, like, they, they actually, like, take care to say that they're going to keep the brand alive but brad i think you had a suspicion or you heard some rumblings that this might not be the case yeah at least uh you know blu-ray.com in the forums you can always find me there um i'm usually just a lurker not posting too much but uh people were saying that at least the rumor is that they're kind of they bought twilight time to keep maybe any rights for the films they already have um but i think the ongoing notion is that they're not going to release any new movies on the twilight time brand i mean from what i understand it sounds like that is completely done now i mean maybe that's changed in the last week and i haven't seen it maybe they will come out with some more stuff which i think would be great um but as far as i know it sounds more just kind of like a a rights issue a legal issue just so they can sell whatever they had left i guess yeah i'm just going strictly off of the web design um I don't know how much I would trust Screen Archives Entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I was telling you off air, I can't even figure out where they're from, like what country they're they're based in, <laughs> and that's a bit of a problem if I'm going to give someone my money. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's it's sad that Twilight Time's gone. Um, I want to say that yeah, they they actually are gone. This is probably just like a, a warehouse, like just buyout or something. Like yeah. we we have everything they produced, but no more will be produced. Um, 
but yeah, I I don't see myself giving my money to Screen Archives no, Entertainment no. anytime soon. Yeah, don't 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 do that. Um, and one thing that I didn't know about Twilight Time, which I guess it's kind of dumb of me, I guess that I never put this together, but it was called Twilight Time. They named it that because they said physical media is in the twilight of its life. Like they knew that they were only they were on life support basically, and they were like, we're gonna do this as long as we can, but right now it's Twilight Time, so we're not gonna be around forever, which. You know, it's almost like a beautiful ending then when you look at it like that. I mean, they had a very good run from what I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. They were around for like like a decade at least. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty good for a boutique publisher. Oh, for um, sure, yeah. That being said, let's move on to something a little bit more uh, a little more jovial, I guess. Um, so the nifty name stack. <laughs> I, I don't know what, what the official name for this project is, but uh, I stumbled across like an Instagram post like a few months ago uh, wherein somebody who I believe works for like Shudder or Fangoria. Mm. I think they work for Fan- Fangoria as like an okay. editor. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, they posted a photo of a stack of movies, um, each of which were bearing the title of uh, like the, the first letter in the title of each film represented a letter in their name. So if you read the stack, like just the first letter of each movie, you have their name. Uh, as an example, um, Kyle, who is not present uh, for this recording, uh, he's my typical co-host. Uh, he supplied me with his uh, hypothetical list, um, <laughs> and his name is, of course, Kyle, K-Y-L-E. And he said his nifty name stack would consist of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, You Were Never Really Here, oh. Labyrinth, and The Evil Dead, yeah, as in The First Evil Dead. Um, that's a pretty handsome list. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't speak for you were never really here, but funny enough, I think I may have been the one to recommend that one to him. Yeah, I, re- I like that film a lot. And actually, because I'm going, uh, I go by Brad, but my full name is Brad Lee. So we're using that. So I had a Y and I, I kind of almost went with you were never really here. It was it was in the, the mix. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do like that film a lot. Okay, well, uh, being as you you named the beast, um, <laughs> and uh, you have more letters in your name than me, Brad, do you wanna do you wanna kick us off? Do you wanna give us our our, our B movie for uh, yeah. your nifty name stack? Let's start with uh, the B movie, and yeah, no, let's let's not call it a B movie. This is an A movie right here, and uh, actually, I mean, it starts with a B though. But um, actually, I don't know if this is cheating, but it's a it's a box set, but all the films in the set do start with the letter B. It is the Before Trilogy. The Before Trilogy, directed by uh, Richard Linklater, put out on the Criterion Collection. This one, I I love these movies. I don't know. Have you ever heard of these? I have not, so educate me. Well, R- Richard Linklater and Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, they all collaborated on this. And Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, in the first one, Before Sunset, they play, um, I think it's Before uh, before Sunrise is the first one. Before Sunrise, the second one, Before Sunset, and the third one, Before Midnight. In the first one, they're this uh, these young couple. They're, they're not a couple yet, but they meet on a train and essentially fall in love. She is uh, French, I believe, and he's an American, and they're traveling through Europe, and they decide to get off and walk around the streets of... I think it might be France, I, some European city, some very, uh, some uh, Paris, France, uh, s- somewhere in Europe, they're walking around the city and uh, they fall in love. It's all one night type thing. And then obviously they're from different parts of the world. So they end up kind of going their different ways at the end of it. But they say one year from today, we'll meet up in the same city and we'll reunite again, basically. And that's how the first movie ends. And then the second movie 
picks up nine years later, exactly the same amount of time as that's passed between the releases of the movies, and then the next movie's nine years after that, and so you're watching these characters change over these nine years as the actors age and how they kind of change you know their positions in life and everything like that their relationship grows and uh i think that's one of my favorite romance movies of all time all any three of these could be great romantic movies my top but uh before sunset is so good because it's 80 minutes it almost plays out in real time and the plot of that one is Ethan Hawke, they they end up not seeing each other after that year, and so they meet up again nine years later, and Ethan Hawke is this famous author now, and they spend basically 80 minutes walking around the city, and the whole time he's like, ah, oh, my plane, I gotta catch my plane, and so there's like this ticking clock, and you want them to get together again, but he's like, oh, I gotta catch my plane, I gotta catch my plane, but yeah, okay, I can go have a cup of coffee with you yeah okay we can go for a walk and the whole time they're kind of falling back in love with each other and it's just an amazing movie for a long time they weren't out on uh blu-ray so these this was one of my most wanted blu-rays and finally they put it out on criterion and it's just a great set and uh yeah i love these films they're they're awesome wow not only did you get your your wished for blu-ray you got a criterion release yeah lucky you it was nice (laughs) it was very nice no, they, that sounds awesome. Just on a conceptual level, um, was uh, Ethan Hawke and R- Richard Linklater? Did they also do Boyhood together? Yep, yep. Or was He's that in someone Boyhood. else? Yeah, because that's another long, you know, like a. I'm not sure how you would phrase it in terms of like on a conceptual level, but basically, it's like shot over what, like 13 years or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they both do really or seven interesting, years. <laughs> they both do really interesting things, playing with time and f- filming a movie over so many years and having you know the characters age in real time and i don't know i'm it's you could say it's a little gimmicky but uh the gimmick works for me i love that stuff yeah i mean i personally i think i'd sooner watch that whole trilogy than boyhood just mm-hmm. me personally that that's where i'm coming from but i'll have to check that out because that's not i like i generally like ethan hawk um i think he's an underrated resource in the in the film community sometimes like it, he gets written off sometimes as like oh he's that guy <laughs> but um, I think he's generally a very good actor and Richard Linklater is one of those very 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 respected directors that I have not really explored very much of his filmography if any of it yep um so I have to keep that in mind yeah put it on um, the list uh, Ethan Hawke if you're if you're a fan he also uh gets writing credits in the second two films him and uh, Julie Delpy they get writing credits because I think. Uh, you know, they knew the characters so well, and I think there might have been some improvisation there, but they kind of collaborated with uh, Link later and, you know, wrote the film, the three of them together, which I think is pretty cool. Very cool. So, um, so jumping from your, your high class criterion, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to take us straight into Trash Town. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, for my T movie, as my name is Trevor, um, I have. Transformers the movie. Hey, that's, <laughs> or, that I would not call that trash. That is that is a classic. So this is the Transformers the movie, which is the 1986 animated film, not the 2007 Michael Bay film. Um, this is the uh, limited 30th anniversary Steelbook edition Ooh. from Shout Factory. Nice. It's a, it's a very handsome package. Uh, Transformers the movie is a very special movie for me and probably my whole family. Um, I've been watching this movie since before I could talk, basically, because uh, I have an older brother, and uh, we had a bootleg VHS of the movie, and he would watch it, like, every fucking day. And, of course, my mom didn't want to let his son watch, you know, 
robot violence, <laughs> animated <laughs> robot violence, like unsupervised. So she would like watch it with him. And then I came along and we both would watch it like every day. So my mom had to, cause I was a baby at the time. She had to watch it with me all the time. <laughs> so like collectively, like my, my mom basically had to watch Transformers the movie every day for like eight years straight. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel for her um, and whatever psychological trauma may have come from that. Um, but this movie is, if you come at it now, like if you have no sense of nostalgia for it, it's, it is kind of trash. Um, it has no chill whatsoever. Like it is just constantly fucking moving. Mm-hmm. Like I, I complain about like the modern day CGI animated films and how uppity they are. It's like, just calm the fuck down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everybody's always da- dancing and bouncing around and everybody always has the people's eyebrow just locked in because it's like a universal thing with kids that they find that entertaining. Mm-hmm. But this movie very much is in that vein where it's like, there's co- just constant action it came out in 1986, so it's just like hair metal soundtrack. Every every three minutes, there's a new song. We can't even be bothered to finish the songs. Um, but like the from a characterization standpoint, it's like it's all super broad. But that's part of what makes it appealing. It's like we're dealing with really broad archetypes. Like Optimus Prime is your dad. Uh, well, if you if you're cool with your dad, like if you hate your dad, then whatever but like if you have a cool dad then you project your dad on <laughs> optimus prime and then like megatron is the world's biggest asshole and he's voiced by frank welker so you can't you can't lose and this movie is just it's it's kind of like me summed up in a lot of ways like <laughs> like, like i don't know I, i'm doing a poor job of explaining exactly why it's important to me but I've seen it more than any other movie I think that exists on the planet. Oh, know, wow. Frontwards and backwards. Uh, I can basically say every line of dialogue to myself in all the different voices. Um, there's a reason my Tales from the Shelf sounds curiously like Optimus Prime, <laughs> the Peter <laughs> Cullen version. Um, but yeah, Brett, have you seen this movie? You know, I think I, I could be wrong. I think I've seen it when I was a kid. But that could be me getting it confused with, was there a Transformers TV show, uh, like an animated series TV show? Well, the the background on this movie was that, um, so yes, there there was a Transformers animated TV show. I believe it started in 1984. And what they were doing with the movie is a curious phenomenon that I've noticed happens with children's entertainment, at least for me personally. Um, I don't, like, keep keep this thought in your mind as I'm talking, but... I've noticed there's a thing in children's entertainment of a certain era where we have this ultra popular thing and then we make a movie of it. And then as soon as that movie comes out, nobody cares anymore. <laughs> like, like I'm pretty sure like Transformers definitely like the wave crested after the movie. Cause like, I remember the cartoon after the, like the, the, the seasons that came after this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember them being as good as those first couple of seasons. And what this movie was supposed to be was a, a chance to reshuffle the deck. Where it's like, hmm, we have a, a cartoon franchise that the entire point of its existence is to sell toys who happen to be characters. It's like, well, what happens if we kill all the characters? It's like, oh, we can replace them with new ones, which <laughs> means new toys. <laughs> And so the movie, the whole point of it was we're going to kill off half the cast and replace them with new characters so we can make new toys. Um, little did they know that would be very traumatic for some of us kids who got to see our you know, our heroes get killed right in front of their fucking face. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
but yeah i've noticed like uh, i remember the power rangers movie mm-hmm. i remember as soon as that movie came out i was like up oh, think i'm done with power rangers <laughs> and then like like a goofy movie i was like i don't think i need any more goof troop <laughs> and then what else was there like ducktales probably not i think ducktales held up mm-hmm. uh there's probably others oh pokemon i remember the the pokemon movie came out and i was like think i'm done with pokemon <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think when if the movie was what got me out of Pokemon or if it was just me just getting tired of it. I'm not sure. But yeah, I guess it was probably around the time. Because there was a movie and then there was Pokemon 2000, I think, that was the sequel. Yeah. And I feel like that might have been the one that might have been the last straw for me, the Pokemon 2000 movie. Ninja Turtles probably held up the best. Like they 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 got two movies in there before it started to get bad. Yeah. Like by the time the third, I think by the time the third movie came out, though, like all the people who were originally hot for turtles were just like, I think I'm done with turtles. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, ooh, let's see what these cowboys of Moo Mesa are up to. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, Transformers the movie. Um, I would highly recommend watching it. Like it's it's probably like 85 minutes long yeah um and the animation some people are very critical of it i think it's actually fairly ambitious from an animation standpoint because you need to remember this is all 2d hand-drawn cell animation and some of the camera angles and like camera movement in particular they didn't have to try that hard remember this the 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 concept for this entire movie was to shill product it didn't have to be good. If you want evidence of what that can look like, like a half-assed effort, watch G.I. Joe the movie. I brought that <laughs> up like last time. All you need from that movie is the first three fucking minutes. The rest of it, mm-hmm. trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this one, it's like, no, they actually tried to make a fucking movie, and they got a killer voice cast, man. They got Leonard Nimoy to be Galvatron. They yeah. got Orson fucking Wells. That, that's <laughs> they got, really impressive. They got Citizen fucking Kane. That is really impressive, yeah. <laughs> He had nothing but bad things to say about this production, and then he died. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, you look at the whole thing with them, you know, killing off a lot of the characters as a way for them to uh, sell more toys. But I also think, like, I mean, to put that in a kid's movie, like, whether you liked it or not, that's pretty ambitious. Like, you got to respect them going all in on that. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's actually part of what made the G.I. Joe movie worse, because it was already bad, but part of what made it worse was that they didn't, they learned their lesson because apparently like all sorts of parents groups wrote in to Hasbro and were like, dude, you just fucked my kid's brain <laughs> like right in front of me in the living room. <laughs> um, don't don't kill his heroes ever again. So for the G.I. Joe movie, they, they slipped in like a line of dialogue because Duke, like the main character, he gets shot. And then they have they have an ADR line where it's he has, he has gone into a coma. <laughs> it's like, no. He was very clearly shot in the heart and is yeah. dead, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would highly recommend checking this out if you have like I don't know a, a dumb afternoon where you you maybe your inhibitions are just out the window and you're just like fuck it, I don't need to I don't need to watch good movies today. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely curious because I mean I I have memories of watching animated Transformers, but I don't know if it was the show or the movie because I know I never owned the movie, so it would have had to been on television or at a friend's house or something. So uh, I'm very curious to see if I actually have seen it or if I'm just having like a Mandela effect or something. I don't know, but could be, um, if you, <laughs> if you have, uh, any appreciation for hair metal, like power metal, 
This is your movie. Not <laughs> I don't know if genre. that's, the that's case. not a selling point for me. <laughs> okay, well, Brad's not going to see this anytime soon. <laughs> um, that being said, Mr. Brad, what is what is your next one? Yeah, uh, my next one. I mean, I wouldn't say it's overly trashy, but maybe a little more trashy than uh, my first one. Uh, it is another collection, and it's uh, a beautiful, another beautiful collection. It is the Ring You Collection, put out by Arrow. Which um, I think uh, I've mentioned it to you, I'm sure. I don't know if I mentioned it on here or on one of your main episodes. But um, I, I love uh, Gore Verbinski. And I, I always loved Gore Verbinski's remake of The Ring. And for a long time, I've been super curious about checking out the original Ring You. Because I'd heard, you know, it's scarier, it's better. And finally, it got put out on Blu-ray in North America. And a beautiful set from Arrow. And I have not watched any of the sequels. Um Got to get around to those, but I did watch Ring You, the first one, and I thought it was great. I did like it a lot. I, I mean, I might get a kick to the curb uh, by some people for this one, but I think I still prefer the Gore Verbinski ber- version. I mean, I think that version it's got the Hans Zimmer score, which I love. Um, I think um, uh, uh, not uh, Natalie Portman, uh, Naomi Watts. I think she's great the, in that, that one. lady that never shuts her damn mouth. Yeah, <laughs> she, she just says like. Just, just, her and Christian Bale just always kind of have that little gap there between the lips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of their acting tics, uh, kind of similar to how Brad Pitt's always got the thing where he's rubbing his head or he's like kind of licking his lips or something. You know, every every, every actor's got their, their tics. Yeah, um, I was just pointing out uh, John Bernthal last week. He he does a thing where he, he darts his eyes around the room. Like, yeah. He has to wet his lips before he talks, like every line. <laughs> I, I think he does a lot of head rubbing too, actually. Now that I think, I think you're right. It. I think you're right. <laughs> um, anyway. But yeah, this set is awesome. It's got, uh, you know, I think there's actually four movies in here because there was like an unofficial sequel that was not very well received. So there's three, uh, you know, individual cases here, but four films, lots of great special features, a booklet. Um, I mean, this is everything I want in a, a Blu-ray set, and I think uh, Halloween time I might rewatch Ring You and check out the sequels. But um, I got this one; it was like, I think it came out at the end of October, so I got it like right at the end of my Halloween horror viewing, and I was getting a little burnt out on horror films, so that's why I didn't watch any of the sequels. But uh, yeah, it's a great collection, and uh, starts with the letter R. So, <laughs> BR. Yeah, um, it's funny, like to to use. To use the word that the kids use on the internet, I, I want to say this gets my vote for most overused word on the internet. That box is thick. <laughs> <laughs> Could you spell that, sir? <laughs> no. Now, um, th- this might show how uh, unlingoed I am. And is that like, are you saying it's literally thick or it's like cool thick? <laughs> just just look it up, Brad. I'm not going to. It's kind of both. I can't explain it, but I don't want to admit that I actually don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just like to like talk shit about the kids on the internet because I, I want to say they don't either because yeah. I notice they use it in reference to pretty much everything. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's like no that that doesn't appear to be thick in in any respect. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in fact that's a very spindly woman. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's Laura Flynn Boyle. She is the complete opposite of thick. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, that's a very handsome package. Uh funny enough, uh Despite being like really up on Japanese cinema, um, I have never actually seen Ringu or any of the other movies, mm-hmm. um, except for the Gore Verbinski, uh, the remake. Um, I think I think you can sum up the value of Gore Verbinski's 
ring movie in five words brian cox in a bathtub <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that sequence is uh, amazing i mean it's great ah that's great but, and i um, i love the uh the sort of kind of twist i guess twist ending of the um original and i think i can't i don't remember much but there was something with this one I think it still had that twist ending, but it just wasn't pulled off as effectively or something. I, I don't know. Something about it didn't work as well for me. And it could just be because I, I've seen the remake, so maybe I knew it was coming. But um, but it's still, it was. I really liked the movie. It was still great. But, uh, yeah, I, I do need to expand my Asian horror palette a little bit more. I, I watched Pulse a few years ago. Um, I actually think I liked that one better than Ring You. Um, I thought Pulse was very creepy and very good. Um, so, but yeah, there's, uh, Arrow has put out a few, I know they put out Dark Water as well, which I would like to check out. So, you know, they're, they're getting over here stateside, uh, slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, did they, did they handle, uh, Juon, the, the Grudge movies as well? Uh, they haven't put out a release of that as far as I know. I don't know if it has any sort of North American Blu-ray release, but that's one I would be very curious to check out as well. I saw, I saw that one. I saw the original and the and the American remake, which was also directed by the same fella, uh, mm-hmm. which is, I think, kind of cool. Like yeah. bringing bringing the original Japanese director on board to make it. That that's a cool concept. But uh, Pulse, uh, I read about that a long time ago, and I was like, you know, that sounds like one of the scarier concepts I've ever encountered. So much mm-hmm. so that I don't really want to ruin it for myself. I'd rather just keep it as that story in my head, which is probably better than the movie. Because as far as I know, it was shot on like no money. <laughs> yeah, there, it, it definitely has uh, some rough patches in the movie. But there's some uh, moments that are so creepy in that movie that kind of stick with me. And just thinking of that movie, you know, a few years removed from watching it, I think of those creepy moments more than I think of the the low budget or the, you know, the the seams that you might see otherwise but yeah j j horror is often like characterized as i don't know there's there's a greater sense of like despair like they're they're more prone to going there where it's mm-hmm. like there's no hope um but this movie's 90 minutes long and you just have to kind of like be along that ride you have to be along with it for the ride and it's like oh man really <laughs> it's like that sounds horrible that sounds yeah. like a slog it's like well yeah that's kind of, <laughs> That, that's, I mean, what, that's what makes it tough to watch uh, an, an entire Blu-ray collection within uh, the span of each other because you, you watch one and you're like, you know, it was kind of depressing. I guess I'll pop in the sequel and then you got to go through the whole thing again. And then if you wait, then you're like, well, I got to rewatch the first one. And it's just the vicious cycle. Can you get through it all? Yeah. I mean, my, my theory with Japanese culture has always been they, they have a phrase, shikata ga nai. It basically means like nothing can be done. Um and as far as I know, it became like a colloquialism because it's such a environmentally hazardous like landscape. Mm-hmm. So you have like typhoons, and you have earthquakes, and you have all this shit that can happen at a drop at the drop of a hat. So it's like, oh man, my village just got washed out to sea. It's like, what do we do about that? It's like, well, you can like throw a tantrum or whatever, or you can shrug your shoulders and say, well, not a whole lot to be done about. It. And I want to say that that general attitude translates to a lot of their, like their ghost stories and a lot of yeah. their folklore where it's just like, shit happens, wear a helmet. <laughs> As opposed to like a lot of like, you know, um, atomic age, like American B movies where it's like, no, if we shoot it enough, it'll go away. <laughs> Our military can stop any monster. Yeah. <laughs> 
that, yeah. that's an interesting choice I, I i would very much like to check out those movies at some point mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I don't know if i'd pick up that very thick box yeah. but uh <laughs> maybe individually wrapped versions or something i think i actually think they did come out with the individual versions so if you just wanted to pick up the first one i think i think they did come out with that which is nice okay well i'll look into it because um speaking of that's that's an arrow release correct yep uh, well, speaking of Arrow, uh, I have exactly, uh, I believe, one film of theirs, and that would be my uh, my next one, which is RoboCop. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, perfect. Ro- RoboCop, nineteen eighty seven, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Um, we just covered RoboCop two on the normal catching up on cinema feed. Um, RoboCop is, I want to say, like in my top five favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. Transformers the movie gets a it gets knocked all over the place on my list of like personal favorite movies because it, it I do have to grapple with the fact that it is like objectively not the highest work of quality but like RoboCop just has so much value like top to bottom like I I it kind of hit me as I was talking up RoboCop 2 like I spent a lot of that episode talking at Kyle because I get very <laughs> enthusiastic when RoboCop is the subject at hand mm-hmm. and I was just talking at him and like i started talking about robocop one because it's a better movie um but just the the script is very tight and i don't know if it's because paul verhoeven's like very capable hand guiding it but the first like 20 minutes of robocop is like it's like film school kind of shit where it's like wow so much is being communicated to me so seamlessly and there's so much action and color and and excitement in between all of it that's like wow this is very efficient. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it's funny. It's legitimately horrifying at times. It's a good action movie. It has one of my favorite scores. Like Basil Polidorus is, um, I don't know if you're, are you terribly familiar with his, his film scores? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I know he obviously that he did Robocop, but uh, I couldn't t- name any of his other ones off the top of my head. I'll, I'll throw a couple big ones out then. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Um, the Hunt for Red October. Uh, Starship Troopers, also a Paul Verhoeven movie. Um, Under Siege 2. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first one, though. Only the second one. Um, he's, he's a fantastic composer. Um, mm-hmm. He does very masculine themes, and it was kind of perfect for RoboCop where... Th- it's it's like super bombastic. It's like a superhero fanfare, but at the same time, the whole thing's kind of winking at you because that's the general tone of the movie. And I think if you can't find RoboCop funny, then, like, not to be mean, but you might have a low IQ or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you might not get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just, like, you, go watch something else. Like, right. like, like, what's the new Adam Sandler thing on Netflix or whatever? Like, the wrong Missy or something? The one with David Spade, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, I still got to check that one out. I still <laughs> Tax breaks the movie, <laughs> <laughs> or a tax breaks five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've you've seen RoboCop, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen any of the sequels, so uh, listening to your guys' episode got me very curious to go back and rewatch the first one, and at least watch the second one. And I know you would probably steer me away from it, but I would have to watch the third if I watched the first two. But um, the first I one, mean, of course, it's amazing, though. I mean, for for historical purposes, I think the third one's very much worth checking out uh with the caveat being that you probably aren't going to enjoy it but um it's i think it's very important especially if like for me 
we've talked about this before I like martial arts movies are kind of a thing um and on the side I also happen to like be a huge Godzilla movie fan like that was my first love uh, mm-hmm. when, when I was watching Transformers I was also watching Son of Godzilla every day um and so much of those movies like the charisma of the Godzilla character comes from the guy in the rubber suit and that's the core concept of RoboCop is you it's basically that it's like Peter Weller in a goofy robot suit that's not actually mechanical it's just a you know prosthetic outfit or whatever um but to see robert john burke step into the same suit i think literally the same suit because they had no money yeah and they're probably probably pretty smelly at that point too i bet i'm sure it was smelly and they're not the same proportions too so it didn't fit him (laughs) right and probably hurt to wear um just the way he moves as compared to peter weller it's like yeah the guy in the suit matters and uh Mm -hmm. robocop 3 is trash um but it came out in an interesting time where it came out like two, maybe even three years after it was supposed to. And Orion Pictures that was on top of the world like two years before was going into the shitter real fast. So they just needed to put something out. And they're like, let's get the Night of the Creeps guy to make a PG-13 movie. It's like, that's not a good combo, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's meant to be for kids. And it's like, RoboCop is not for kids. <laughs> like, good yeah. lord, no. <laughs> that, that's one of the things, because uh, yeah, I didn't really grow up with RoboCop, and I had kind of a, and a concept of what it was in my head, and I was surprised at how, you know, like you said, funny and subversive it was when I finally saw it. Um, I, I guess I haven't seen the remake. I don't know if you have, but... I my have. my idea of what the remake is, which I haven't seen, so I could be wrong, is what I thought the original was going to be. So maybe the remake is funny and subversive as well, but I haven't heard too many great things about it. So it it has no teeth, mm-hmm. like it's utterly utterly toothless. Um, it they make all sorts of innovations to the character that were supposed to be clever and fun. Where it's like, yeah, let's make him sleek and black, and let's let's make him run. It's like. <laughs> It's not why you show up for a RoboCop movie, but whatever. You know, mm-hmm. the part of the charm of him is that he's a fucking garbage can. <laughs> it's like yeah. he can't run. Like he just chunk, chunk, chunk. he doesn't he doesn't move quick. He gets there when he gets there. <laughs> but um, what I mean by being toothless, though, is that it does have elements of satire, but it's all very on the nose and very broad. And like being being from Seattle, living in Seattle for like my entire life, essentially, like they had the perfect opportunity to throw some shade at, you know, companies like Amazon and like the, the big corporate overlords of, you know, like every satirical political comic out there. Mm -hmm. Like they could have done something with that because that's essentially the core of the story. Like I've always maintained that the story of RoboCop is not that of RoboCop. It's the story of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a kind of a sad story because almost all the movies end with the city still in a shit situation but RoboCop gets his little like personal victory. Yeah. It's like it's like RoboCop's okay. Detroit's in the shitter, but it's like, but he'll clean it up one block at a time. It's like it's not enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, they they completely miss the point. It's it's kind of a wasted effort. The only only thing that's somewhat interesting about it is that they reverse the character arc slightly, where um, he starts out more human and becomes more robotic as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of, like, genuinely unsettling shots of, of him after his uh, m- moiter, after his murder. Um, 
But yeah, other than that, it's a waste of your fucking time. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not on my watch list very high. I can tell you that much. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have uh, American Assassin scenes where uh, Michael Keaton gets tortured and likes it. Like <laughs> at least American Assassin has that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think I'd probably put the RoboCop remake higher on my watch list than American Assassin. But maybe maybe I'm wrong on that one. <laughs> well, if if you just watch that scene, you can turn it off. Like okay. You can just be like, oh, that's enough in American. Ass- oh, well, wait. There's a couple minutes of Scott Adkins in there. So, oh, wait. But he gets beat up in it and he dies pathetically. So, never mind. Just watch the torture scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, that being said, uh, Brad, what what is your next film? All right. Uh, my next one is a documentary, which I don't own a ton of documentaries, but uh, I do like documentaries a lot. This one. One of my favorite docs from the last decade, it is The Act of Killing. Um, This one directed by Joshua Oppenheimer. It is um, a documentary about, I'm trying to get the country here, see if it's listed on the back. I don't know what the country is, but basically um, it follows these guys who are these death squad leaders in this um, uh, Southeast Asian country. I want to say, is it like? Oh, uh, it's uh, Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah, yep, you're right. And um it follows these guys who, you know, back in the day when this was going on, they were these death squad leaders and they executed thousands of people and now they're old men. And when you're introduced to these guys in the documentary, they're just, you know, your typical old men. They they act like them, they dress like them. They're kind of funny to watch and you're like, "Oh, this these guys are kind of jovial and their friends and but then you find out who they are and what they did and you start to realize that they have absolutely no remorse for anything that they did and the concept of it is the director basically gets them to reenact their killings by sort of like putting it under the guise that we're going to film we're going to have you guys film these scenes in the style of like classic Hollywood because these guys are big movie fans so they they liked gangster movies so they kind of recreate some of their uh, executions while they're dressed up as gangsters from the 40s and they they do these recreations which are very surreal and weird to watch and again you're watching it and you realize that they just like to them the, the, the scary thing is to them it's like they did nothing wrong like they still don't reconcile with that um, but what's uh, the amazing ending to this movie is when the one death squad leader that we're following for most of the film, uh, he goes to one of the sites where he killed a bunch of people and he just starts dry heaving for like five straight minutes. And it's just like all that guilt finally catches up to him. And you just watch this guy just like start just keep like five minutes straight of that. And it's it's, a, it's an amazing ending. Um, and uh, yeah, the Blu-ray is great. It's got actually two cuts of the film. The director's cut is uh, really long. And I don't think I've actually watched the director's cut. Yeah. The regular film is two hours. This one is 166 minutes if you go with the director's cut. So quite a bit longer, but um, it is definitely worth watching. It is a very powerful documentary. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I I remember having to read about this. I I did a school project on Indonesia um, in middle school, I believe. uh, About uh, I think it was Suharto was like the dictator in control during during the events you're describing here mm-hmm. uh brutal fucking shit um, yeah but i remember did you have this on your uh, top 100 list on your show i think it was and i think i also had it when we did our uh, my best of the decade i think i had it somewhere in my best of the decade too so I- i'm pushing this film i'm really pushing it let's, let's, let's as look. you should because yeah. i remember you mentioning it and i i, I dog-eared it i was like 
I think I would very much like to see that. That sounds like an excellent documentary. Yeah. And there is a sequel, which is also very good. Um, I think that one is called The Look of Silence. And that one, they find they have a brother. Um, I think he's brother. His, his brother was murdered by these Death Squad leaders. And you basically follow this brother as he sort of goes and talks to these men who did this and confronts them. And that one's very good and very powerful as well. But I think this one, the, the sort of gimmick of them recreating the executions with the, the gangster picture style, like it's a kind of a it's weirdly engrossing to watch them do this. It's, it's just a very, it's a very strange movie. Um, but it's, it's, it works very well. And, uh, it's very sad, not something you're going to pop on on a Sunday afternoon and, uh, you know, watch with your friends, but it's definitely, uh, I, I I would say, I don't want to, I don't want to sound pretentious, but I would say it's an important film. It's one worth watching. (laughs) No, it, it sounds like a, a twisted, documentary version of be kind rewind (laughs) (laughs) you're not too far off you're not too far off no i i would very much like to see this and by the way is that a draft house disc yeah it is actually um i think i might own one other of their films but yeah it's it's a really great set i mean i i love clear cases just beautiful um and i think there's quite a few uh special features on here as well and uh yeah it's a really nice blu-ray set yeah, I only have one of their discs. It's uh, the uh, World of Kanako, um, mm-hmm. and it has uh, I forget the name of the guy, but um, he they have like one of the inset covers, like reversible cover art things, and there's like a fold out poster. It's done by a comic artist that I at one point in my life was really up on, so I was kind okay. of surprised. Um, but yeah, they they have a good reputation. I just don't have many of their products. Yeah, and they're I, I mean this might sound stupid. This might be a stupid question, but their draft house pictures the draft house films are alamo draft house like they're the same umbrella I, right i mean i'll double check but if almost positive yeah there yeah. <laughs> i, I, I would have assumed so and... but oh i just noticed uh draft house films that has a number on the spine uh-oh oh boy i wish it i had begins seen that. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes brad's bank account yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, um, I suppose it's to me. Uh, so I'm cheating a little bit. So Brad, um, just to reiterate pretty much every episode we've done, um, Brad has a general disdain for the DVD format. Um, <laughs> and uh, all I'm guessing all the discs he's going to have on his list here are Blu-rays. Um, mine generally are as well. However, I set up some alternates because I had, I had ones that better represented me, but th- I only had them on DVD. Uh, so I'm going to go with the DVD for my E. Um, and that would be uh, Tim Burton's Ed Wood. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, have you seen Ed Wood? I'm ashamed to say this is a blind spot for me. Uh, well, let me let me ask you this, Brett. Have you ever had any aspirations to make films of your own? Oh, for sure. Yeah. See Ed Wood. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> um, I. I have the softest of soft spots in my heart for uh, movies about making movies. Uh, it's a subgenre that just tickles me in the right way. And Ed, Ed Wood is a very, very, very special movie to me. Um, I, I put it on when I need inspiration because uh, it, it just has a lovely feel. The, the editing is, is very kind of, it's not, it's not like loosey-goosey or anything. It's just kind of breezy. Like it's just a fun mm-hmm. movie to live in for a little bit. And Johnny Depp in it is like the, this character that he's playing. It you know it's somewhat manufactured. Like Ed Wood is a real person. He was a real 
bad film director, but Johnny Depp is manufacturing a character. He's putting on performance, but it's it's just intoxicating to watch because he's just so implacable. He's just so upbeat all the fucking time. It's like, why? <laughs> like, why, Ed? It's like, you're poor. Your fiance hates you. Like, you keep stealing money from people. <laughs> it's like, your best friend has like a morphine addiction or something. Like, but it, it, I don't know. This movie's just hypnotic to me. Um, it's shot in gorgeous black, black and white. And uh, this was very much like Tim Burton's, like, I, I, I put in my time movie and now I get to do what I fucking want to do. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I gave you your Batmans, two of them. Now I get to do Ed Wood. And it's, it's awesome. Like it, it pays tribute to a guy who maybe wasn't the best person in real life, but just his story of, of just being this unflappable, like plucky character in the film industry who just kept trying to get his, his movies, like what, like with a capital H, his movies made. Like, yeah warts and all <laughs> like, um, but yeah if you have any interest in making films of your own I would highly recommend it because it's very inspirational and just some of the special effects tricks and they're like recreating uh, a lot of Ed Wood's film catalog like and and trying to get the details down to the T it's like damn that 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 looks terrible but that's exactly how it was <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I mean and it's I think, an interesting uh, Martin Landau won an Oscar yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, d- doesn't he play Bela Lugosi in that movie? Am I am I right on that? Yeah. Okay. Bela Lugosi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to check that. I've been meaning to check it out for a long time. Uh, you know, it falls into a kind of a r- very niche subgenre. You've got the subgenre of people making movies, and then you've also got the subgenre of people making bad movies. I mean, quote unquote bad movies. I mean, you've got that. You've got. Uh, the disaster artist um dolomite is my name i guess you could throw in there as well um the idea of you know making these movies that aren't technically great but for some people they tap into something and um so yeah it's i think i would love it i mean early tim burton i i love his early stuff it's just for some reason i haven't gotten around to it yeah uh early tim burton is is special it's very 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 special oh yeah um actually my my alternate was edward scissorhands Mm -hmm. um However, Edward represents me much, much better. Edward Scissorhands is a gorgeous movie. Um, the score for that movie, even if you don't see the movie, if you just listen to the score, holy shit, Danny Elfman showed up. Yeah. Um, curiously enough, Ed Wood um, is not scored by by Danny Elfman. I really I don't oh. know the details of it, but uh, I've read many articles that suggest that they they had some sort of blow up, like the two of them were at odds with each other at one point. Mm. Um, so Ed Wood, he, he didn't have Danny Elfman and yet it's still an awesome movie with an awesome score. I think it was yeah. like Howard Shore or something. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's who's just also as good. pretty fucking yeah. good. <laughs> it's yeah. a pretty solid pinch hitter. <laughs> but, yeah. I gotta say Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, both of their careers have gone from hi- such high highs to now. I don't even want to say they're low lows, but they're just like the most, the most mediocre of mediocres. That I almost wish they were at low lows. Like, I mean, you look at the imagination and just the the sense of whimsy and fun and direction that his early films had compared to the crap he puts out now. It's, I mean, it's pretty depressing, honestly. 
It's a sad fucking story because Danny Elfman, even in like the mid two thousands, was starting to show that he was getting lazy. Like mm-hmm. he was getting stunt cast to do all, too many superhero movies, and it's like, dude, I know he did Batman, I know he did Dick Tracy, I know he did a he actually did a really great job on the Spider Man movies, the Sam Raimi ones. But sometime after that, like around the time he's doing like Wanted and stuff, it's like, I get it. Like he he's the comic book guy, but he's not. Like he does other things. Like he also mm-hmm. did fucking Pee Wee Herman and Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> like, ugh. But yeah. yeah, Tim Burton in particular. Like I've always joked that um, when his color palette expanded was when he lost his soul. Because um, around the time he did like Willy Wonka and uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland, like he his movies were like this like Technicolor, and it's like. Oh God! Like <laughs> this is just lights with sound. Like there's no soul here. There's no heart. I think uh, I don't want to blame it all on this, but I think him moving to CG really certainly didn't help things. Like uh, there's something where he, when he didn't have that crutch to lean on, he had like his effects were so creative and so fun, and because of it, like because he was working with such limitations, he came up with so many memorable effects and like cool images. And when you can just you know plaster anything up with CG, it's like he loses his imagination because it's like he's got free reign to do anything, and it's just like nothing interesting comes out of that well not only that he's a weird fucking guy yeah (laughs) especially his early filmography like he made a lot of like on the sly very horny movies Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like everybody's got big eyes and everybody's kind of got ants in their pants but but it was always like subtext like it was never explicit like you never see a nipple or anything but like everybody in these movies is trying to jump each other's bones and like he's a little weird like that and i want to say maybe his uh his relationship situation had some bearing on some things because um pre helena bonham carter i want to say he was in a better place when he had um what's her face uh, lisa marie or whatever mm-hmm. um the mars attacks gal <laughs> okay <laughs> when he was working with her it was still pretty good and then like you know like post like plan of the apes and onward it's like something's different (laughs) it's like tim's happy why is he happy (laughs) yeah we need tim sad damn it (laughs) well him and helena bonham carter i think they got a divorce didn't they oh they did yeah so maybe he maybe he went oh maybe it was the opposite maybe it was because he was sad he was making bad movies (laughs) maybe yeah because i don't know when they got divorced but if if dumbo his last movie is any indication them breaking up certainly isn't helping things (laughs) No, the last, the, like the best thing he's done in a while was that uh, the Death of Superman documentary, which yeah, is uh, yeah. the 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 Nick Cage Superman documentary. But um, yeah, you're right though. Um, his his realm was always miniatures, like that was always like one of his keys to like the the visuals of his films was miniatures of all sorts, not just not just like stop motion animation, but just like an- miniature sets and whatnot. Like, there's so many camera movements and so many landscapes that he shoots in his early filmography that's like, yeah, I can tell that's a miniature, but it's so goddamn charming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And whimsical. So much whimsy. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of Weezer, honestly, looking at his uh, filmography. (laughs) He starts with some, like, the same Yeah, yeah, some (laughs) top-notch movies, some top-notch albums, and... There's still, I still like later Weezer, but you know, it's kind of like becoming almost a parody of themselves, and his films feel like somebody trying to imitate Tim Burton, and yeah. But 
<sighs> Poor old Tim just going through the motions. Yeah. Um, enough of that depressing shit, though, Brad. <laughs> what do you got? Do you have, like, sallow or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's another director whose career kind of took a pretty sharp downhill turn. Um, from what I understand, I haven't seen any of their recent movies, but uh, this is one of their most acclaimed, and it is another Arrow release. It is Dario Argento's Deep Red, which uh, I think a couple years ago I went through a big Argento phase, and I just I fell in love with these this guy's movies. I mean, I love the gore, the mystery. I even like the dubbing. Even the dubbing is fun, I think. And um, I don't know, Deep Red it was certainly one of his best. Um, I, I think I still prefer Suspiria, but um, that one's not a straight giallo in terms of, you know, the trademarks of the genre, because that one's got more supernatural stuff going on, even though it does still have kind of a mysterious killer and stuff. But, I mean, this one, everyone says it's the ultimate giallo, and uh, I would agree there's some great kills in here, an awesome mystery, um, and it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, gorgeous set put out by Arrow. They've put out a lot of Argento's stuff. Um, I also, you know, getting into alternates, I all kind of considered putting uh, the bird with the crystal plumage for my bee, which uh, was Argento's first film, which I actually really liked. That was one of his first films that I saw. I think I'd seen Suspiria before that one, but uh, I watched his debut and I was blown away by that one. And um, yeah, I like a lot of his stuff. He, you know, he's not perfect. There's a, even in the height of his career, there's some that are better than others. But uh, I mean, from his uh, mid seventies to uh, kind of mid eighties, he was putting out a lot of great horror films and uh this is definitely one of his best deep red is that the one with the the puppet thing yes yep the puppet things in this one i've seen i've seen like clips um so confession uh i have never actually seen a proper giallo film uh nor have i ever seen a dario argento film however uh man i wish kyle was here (laughs) um kyle uh like all the conventions like all the things that typify a giallo film like that's right up his alley so much Mm -hmm. so that like i got tired of him telling me how much he liked those aspects of filmmaking i was like dude there's a there's a genre you really need to check it out so i got him (laughs) a documentary i blind bought him a documentary called uh all the colors of giallo Mm -hmm. um as far as i understand it's fairly comprehensive and it covers the history of the genre and like you know of course features all sorts of clips and interviews from the masters of of that genre and it got me intrigued. (laughs) Like I was like, ah, I I should watch this shit too. I haven't. Um, Although I've been trying to poke Kyle about doing uh, a review of Suspiria and uh, also the remake, because I know remakes sometimes like people furrow their brow at them. Uh, However, that's from the director of call me by your name. And I heard it's very, very good. (laughs) I, I did like the Suspiria remake. I mean, yeah, it's not a typical remake that you would think of just trying to, you know, redo the same story and cash in on its popularity. It's very much its own thing, and I think if I was even to make a criticism of it, it's that it kind of, like, the horror elements of it, they're there, but there's, like, a, I can't remember exactly, but there's, like, a political story going on um, within it, and, I mean, it's, it's not just a straight-up horror film remake that you would think, but there are some standout scenes. Like, I can picture there's one scene involving a dancer that is uh pretty horrific and uh really well done so i'm a big fan of both the original and the remake okay well i'll tell him you said that because i i know i know kyle's been kind of skeptical about that but i i would very much like to break into argento um would you recommend deep bread as a starting point 
in terms of his giallo stuff, definitely I would say start with Deep Red. Um, I mean, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, his first film, I think that's a great one as well. But it's, it's not quite as over the top as like Deep Red is. The kills aren't quite as elaborate. Um, but I still, I mean, Suspiria, I would say, is probably my favorite of his. So I'd say either that or Deep Red would be the, the go-tos to get you into it. Okay. Well, I mean, I I think I'd like to ramp up a bit. But like, so... For, for anyone at home that doesn't know like the, the typical aspects like of a of a of a giallo film uh, what what are they brad like could you get well, me they're, up to speed <laughs> yeah let me see if i can uh, sum it up here without a uh, you know sounding like i don't know what i'm talking about um they're italian <laughs> films <laughs> and uh they're basically at the time a lot of italian films were doing this where they were filmed for with uh, italian actors and american actors so they're all dubbed because when they're filming it, the American actors would speak English and the Italians would speak Italian. So, you know, you can watch the dub version and sometimes the people are talking in their native language and sometimes they're not and you're getting the dubbing. Um, so that's an element of it. Also, the over-the-top kills, a lot of really gory over-the-top kills. And as the genre goes on, I think they kind of get more indulgent. Um, it's always a mystery. You don't know who the killer is. Um, a lot of the time you see the kills from the killer's POV. And uh, a lot of the time a, a cliche or trademark is they're wearing black gloves when they murder somebody. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the scores, at least in Argento's films, are all very similar to one another. Uh, go- the Goblin scores, which uh, I love. The scores in these movies are so good. <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, the the score, not in this one, but in the movie Tenebrae, um, which came a few years after this one, is so good. With the main theme of that, I've actually worked out too. That's how like that score just like gets me going. Like I've I've gone on runs listening to the score from Tenebrae, and I don't think I can say that for any other film. So, well, it's is it like synth kind of stuff? Yeah, kind of synthy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because that's what I think of when I think of Goblin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, so is a. Is Deep Red like a proper giallo film then? Because you said oh, Spirit sure. isn't quite the same. Yeah, I mean, so I think you maybe could still kind of put it in the giallo genre, but there was a kind of a uh, spread there where Argento was doing supernatural films, but they still had the mysterious killer. But like in Suspiria, it's like they uh, the girl goes to this uh, dance academy and it turns out to be a school of witches, but there is also like a killer. But I don't, I feel like with Suspiria, I don't, Maybe I better not say anything if you're considering watching it. But yeah, it's not okay. quite <laughs> giallo as you would think of it. Um, Deep Red, Tenebrae, Bird with the Crystal Plumage are more traditional giallo. But I mean, stylistically, they're all very similar. Okay. Well, I mean, it's from the same hand. But mm-hmm. I, I just remember, um, I remember seeing a uh, like some sort of press conference or something that Peter Weller did where he was talking about... Um, italian films in general not Mm -hmm. not just giallo but i think he said that the reason why everything was dubbed was because mussolini when he was when he was dictate the dictator like the fascist dictator of italy um he decreed that all films would be dubbed because he was like utterly paranoid or something really about like (laughs) like recording sync sound or something oh wow Um, and he said uh i think peter weller said that um all like because of that the film industry in italy is they're the best adr people in the world oh, <laughs> like, I bet. Like, yeah <laughs> like because they they have more rep they have more reps put in than anyone else <laughs> i mm. always thought that was really funny yeah um yeah uh, when when did you first see deep red by the way when did i first see it yeah 
Um, it was probably not too long ago, three years ago, maybe something like that. I mean, pretty recently. It's not like I grew up watching these when I was like six or seven or anything like that. I mean, I mean, you never fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. figured it as. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, my uh, my next one. So I believe we're on uh, V, uh, as in Trev. Uh, so this is another DVD. Um, I, I do have a Blu-ray just in case, you know, Brad objected, but, um, so yeah, I have a DVD right. you're, you're, here. It's fair. And this is one of the first DVDs I ever bought. Um, and this is, uh, Ryuhei Kitamura's Versus, um, from the year 2000. Um, I, that's a bootleg disc, of course. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I... I had a stretch of my life. I'm still kind of in it, honestly, <laughs> um, from like my middle school years onward, where I was just like hopping on the internet and like finding all sorts of niche movie review websites, like badmovies.org, um, stomptokyo.com. Uh, uh, what was it? It's like it's like General Tso's like kung fu flicks or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, a kung fu cult cinema. Um, anyway, one of these sites specialized in martial arts films and uh, specifically movies from Asia. And uh, it just so happened that it was the year 2000. And uh, this movie called Versus came out. And it's a very, very low budget like indie action film. But it's massively ambitious. And it's directed by Ryuhei Kitamura, who is apparently obsessed with The Matrix. Um, <laughs> it's like his stylistic conventions are all the like all of the like broad strokes of the aesthetics of the matrix so everybody's got leather jackets mm, um mm-hmm. a lot of liberal use of slow motion um overly elaborate fight choreography f- with no explanation like the matrix they have an explanation it's because like everybody's super well trained because they you know just upload data and stuff his movies it's just like no they, they just do that <laughs> it's like <laughs> why they, they just do that <laughs> it's, it's like and you know absurd use of wire rigging and stuff like his movies are 100 percent style over substance he's i don't think he's a very good filmmaker but i do like that he has that thing where his movies are his movies like i could watch a few frames of his movies and be like yeah yeah that's him <laughs> like it's like i'm not happy about it but yeah i recognize that work but versus uh hit me at exactly the right time in my life um, I imported this disc, like I said, through like a bootleg vendor. I think I had to get a money order. So I had oh. to like convince my dad to like go to the bank and like sign some papers or some shit. <laughs> and then I had to like mail it off to someone and pray that they didn't rip me off. And they didn't. <laughs> um, it actually took me a very long time to get this disc even running because I think it was like region zero. And at the time I only had the only DVD player I had was a f- original model PS2. And it didn't like the disc for some reason. So I ended up buying this piece of shit uh, all-region player that was supposed to be like a portable DVD player that was the size of a fucking VCR. <laughs> it, it was the year 2000, goddamn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it didn't work. In fact, the disc would spin off of the spindle and like you could hear it <laughs> scratching on the walls of the thing. <laughs> it was awful. And I think my, I think like I convinced my mom to get it for me for like a Christmas gift. So that was like my big gift that year. And it was just a brick like it didn't do shit so i actually had to go to a friend's house to watch this movie for the very first time like a year after i bought the disc um and yeah it was a revelation for me because it's just like it's too long all of his movies are too long like they're all he can't make anything under two hours long um 
and it's mostly just wall-to-wall action scenes with a lot of random filler in between but it's all very charming it has a very sam raimi feel to it Mm. like uh like explicitly so like this one even has like zombies and uh the traditional sam raimi camera shots where like the camera's constantly ramming into people's faces and stuff yeah (laughs) but um yeah it just has an infectious energy to it and you know, I was learning a lot about myself at, at age 13, and I was really into Japanese culture. I was kind of, like, getting in touch with my roots and stuff. So this was, like, a gateway drug of sorts for me. It got me to kind of explore Japanese cinema in early age. And in so many ways, despite this movie not being that great, like, it, it really does reflect, like, exactly the kind of shit that I was making back then and probably will continue to do throughout my whole life. Just stupid shit you shoot in the backyard with your friends. <laughs> but uh have you heard of this movie brad i've never heard of it i'm looking uh at the uh film on imdb it looks like there's some pretty uh kind of cool creative imagery in the film at least he's a good shooter yeah um, as a like in terms of his cinematography throughout his filmography um yeah generally he gets good shots um he does fall into the trap of uh gimmicky camera work Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of his movies have at least one sequence where it's like you just wanted to do that like like that has nothing to do with telling the story you just wanted to put the camera somewhere weird well it's it's a weird thing but again year 2000 um everybody dressed like shit and uh yeah there was a lot of needless martial arts in movies because matrix and crouching tiger hidden dragon um, yeah, you may have seen one of his movies actually. Have you seen I, a Midnight Meat Train? I have actually. Yeah, I'm looking at his <laughs> IMDb right now. It looks like he kind of transitioned into the horror genre a little bit. He did. Uh, Versus has some horror touches to it. I mean, it has mm-hmm. zombies, it has supernatural stuff, but it's largely just an action movie. But you can tell that he he has an appreciation for horror, and and I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't friends with but probably associated with Takashi Miike just a little bit um yeah Midnight Meat Train as soon as the fist fight with Vinnie Jones happened at the end I was like oh yep (laughs) I was like yep there he is (laughs) I was like I was looking for you in this I was looking for your touch in this movie and here it is (laughs) it's like we have a horror movie about a guy butchering people on the subway and it ends with a fist fight in hell (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but yes, yeah, I, I, I would that one. highly recommend this. I would highly recommend versus like, you know, whenever you're allowed to get all your friends together, like maybe put it on the background or something and look up whenever you hear punching or shooting because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. has a good energy to it. It is too long. It's way too long. And we did cover it for the show, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this DVD has been with me since I was 13 years old. <laughs> It's survived the journey. It's got a special place in your heart then. I mean, like hearing it about does. all of the, all that you went through to watch it. I mean, even if, <laughs> even if you watched it and you didn't like it, you're probably going to force feed yourself into liking it. Uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it's good. Like, you don't know how much money this cost and how many DVD players I had to use to get it to fucking work. It'd be like uh, if I'm stranded out in the, the desert and let, let's say I'm, I'm in the desert, but I have water, so I don't need to worry about water, but I got to worry about food. And then I get to pl- a place where there's food and it's an onion factory and all they have is raw onions. But I bet after being in the desert for two weeks, that onion would taste so good, even though I don't like onions. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
cool story. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm I sure I, I don't mean to compare verses to another. No, I, I get the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it looks. Fun. Be... I think it looks fun. I, I'm I'm kind of curious to check it out. Yeah. Um. If it's on Shutter or available somewhere for free, like I said, if you if I don't know if you have your buddies around or something, just like do something else and have it on the background because yeah. the movie tells you when to look up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like play play a board game or something or, or take turns killing each other in Call of Duty or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, balls to you, Brad. What do you got next? All right. Uh, my next one, you know, I've been highlighting, uh, you know, a lot of fancy labels like Arrow and Criterion. This one, not coming from any fancy label, um, I just picked it because it's a movie that I love. It's near and dear to my heart. It is uh, Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation, which um, I don't know. This movie, I don't know what it is. But the ending of this movie, every time I watch it, puts a tear in my eye. I don't know what it is, but when he goes back, well, I don't, maybe I better not spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen, but it's an, one of my favorite movie endings of all time. Um, I think it just like taps into that thing of like, you know, people getting older, trying to figure out their place in life and the idea of uh, two people meeting while they're essentially on vacation or working abroad, having this connection and but knowing that connection will end when they go back to their real lives. Um, I think that's a very powerful thing. And I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. I love Bill Murray in it. He's so good in the movie. And uh, I, I, I like Sofia Coppola a lot. And this is definitely my favorite film of hers. Yeah, I remember it was a huge deal when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. It got a lot of positive press and it didn't disappoint. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think I saw it. I think I rented it um, at, when it came to video. And yeah, it's a very, very charming film. Um, yeah begins with a shot of a butt and <laughs> and ends like in in heartwarming fashion <laughs> but yeah. no like legitimately though it's a very well put together film stellar performances all around and what's really nice about it is um it's very well structured very well written very well performed but at the same time it's not like pretentious like it's not reaching farther than it needs to it's a very mm-hmm. Kind of like elemental story in a lot of ways which makes yeah. it very relatable where it's like it's you really can kind just of- it's really just a hangout movie. I mean, you're just Very kind of much hanging so. out with these yeah. two characters. Yeah. Yeah, and it has that stranger in a strange land kind of quality to it that is always going to be charming, especially when the filmmaker is confident enough to let the imagery and just the tone kind of tell the story. Like, we don't need gobs of dialogue here. We can just watch mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson inhabit the space and, like, get the vibe from her. Um, so it has almost like a travel log feel to it at times. Oh yeah. Um, but it's very cozy. It's a very cozy movie. Yeah. I, I could, I put this on anytime and just watch it beginning to end, fall in love with it. It, it is cozy. And there, there's just something about the relationship between Bob and Charlotte, um, that just, it just works so well. They've got such great chemistry together in so in a somewhat kind of romance but in like a non-sexual romantic way i think it absolutely works and yeah that ending so good and just so memeable you know him whispering in her ear it just you can come up with so many good so many good gags out of that you gotta love it just for that alone <laughs> god brad i feel like i'm i'm getting a a look into your soul here because like you, you <laughs> opened you opened with those link link ladder movies and you have this one it's like hmm is this like a a a thing with you like I, I, i'm like, a soft at heart of, i guess well no that that like specific type of relationship or love where it's like fleeting i guess 
Yeah. I mean, for me, yeah, there's something about like, maybe that's why the, the closure of Twilight Time hit me so much. Like, <laughs> there's something about, you know, things that don't last forever. It always, I'm very uh, nostalgic for things that end. And, you know, it just, it's very sad. But, you know, looking at it as, you know, enjoy it that it happened rather than, you know, it's better to have loved and lost than not loved at all, that type of thing. And, uh, yeah, something about that thematically really works for me. And I didn't even mean to pick those as having kind of similar ideas, but I guess that's just, it shows, I guess it does show something about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're peering into Brad's psychology today. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, the psychology of Brad. <laughs> yeah. But no, that I, I feel you though, because like it, it's, I think it's very healthy and mature to, to be wistful about things like that. But I think it's actually the way things are just meant to be. Like, like I was saying about Japanese culture, how like sometimes things just happen. You, all you can do is just roll with it. And mm-hmm. actually, like that's actually one of my biggest complaints about um, like the the remake culture of Hollywood these days with the recycling and stuff. It's not so much that that like endless sequels and remakes exist like i'll still watch them and and for the most part i I don't have hate in my heart for those movies like usually you know you can tell when they're good or like half-assed and whatnot but what upsets me is just this notion of things not being allowed to end yeah Uh, because Mm -hmm. i think i think the real beauty of a story or, or most things in general is is having that period at the end of the thought where it's like it's so much easier for me to appreciate something when I know that that's all there, that's all there's going to be like, like that, that that is the last Batman's it's like, that'll never happen. But you know, I I think I mentioned it one of the times we recorded before, like, wouldn't it be interesting to see like a theoretical last James Bond story? Mm -hmm. It's like, this is the, the nail in the coffin for the franchise and the character. But it, it would only be hypothetical. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, speaking of James Bond, uh, I did find out a spoiler today, and I won't. What? I won't say what. It's not not a big spoiler, but very something uh, that I've never seen in a James Bond film in terms of not like story or action, just something with him personally, which I found kind of interesting. Um, wish I hadn't read that to be honest, but I. It's probably not a huge factor in the movie, but kind of, it t- taps into that a little bit. Okay. So, I, I, well, it's not like I read he dies or anything like that. Don't. It's nothing like that. It's just. Uh, no, you know. I would have heard about that by now. Like yeah, people yeah. wouldn't be able to keep their mouths shut about that. Yeah. But, I mean, the title of the movie. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm still. I mean, as far as most anticipated are, um, at like, who knows when movies are going to get rolling again? But um, No Time to Die is pretty high on my list of most oh, yeah. anticipated theatrical releases. Yeah. Um, it, depressing to think that it would have been out for probably like two months at this point <laughs> like oh man yeah no um uh, two of my uh most anticipated i just read today got pushed back to spring 2020 Oof. um they were supposed to be out probably this month or yeah yeah this summer so either this month or next um shit <laughs> yeah uh, so so what it's to me yeah um, it's you okay so i have yet another dvd um and funny enough i'm I'm just going to show you both because i have it a blu-ray on standby like i said um because these are very much in the same vein uh so my o movie movies are on deadly ground all right all right and steven seagal is out for justice (laughs) (laughs) so 
how familiar are you with uh, Steven Seagal, Brad? <laughs> I'm not very familiar with his filmography. I will say that. And I, I don't know if I'd say I'm ashamed of that, but uh, it is a blind spot for me. So On Deadly Ground only has a DVD release as far as I know, and that's with good reason. Um, Warner Brothers likes to pretend it didn't happen. Because <laughs> like the story with Steven Seagal, and it's a huge story, so I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but my, my thing with Steven Seagal was always um, the first five. The first five were good, and then everything else happened. <laughs> like, his first five movies are kind of like indisputably just like pretty solid action schlock. Like you yeah. can't. There's not a whole lot bad to him. They're mostly good. Um, and then his sixth movie was on Deadly Ground, and they let him direct it. And oh, good God! It it's amazing because of it. <laughs> oh, it is. It is a truly spectacular film. It is a massive mess. It features Michael Caine with all the just for men in the world poured on his head. Michael Caine should never have just like burgundy hair <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he should he should not have very dark hair michael michael kane just doesn't look good like that um but yeah it has a very strong environmental message um steven seagal has a dream where he wrestles a bear and gets put to sleep with a feather and falls into a river um billy bob thornton's in there as a random goon i think it's his first film performance and oh, john yeah. c mcginley gets his face put into a helicopter propeller uh, yeah (laughs) this movie sucks in so many ways but in all the best ways um and o is a hard letter to work with um so i of course had other movies that i don't own in mind that could have better represented me but then i Mm -hmm. thought about it and i was like you know under siege 2 was like the first r-rated movie i ever saw so there was probably like five minutes in my life where i legitimately thought steven seagal was cool and then the rest of my life happened and i was like oh wow he's just a clown um yeah but he keeps making movies and they keep making me smile for all the wrong reasons <laughs> he's a terrible human being um this is a this is a published podcast so i do need to go on record saying steven seagal is not a good person <laughs> um, <laughs> you should not support him financially or otherwise in fact i don't even know if he's allowed back in this country <laughs> yeah but <laughs> but um on deadly ground is it's one of those good bad movies where it's like you know if if it's on like cable or something i'm gonna stop like <laughs> like you'll just drop what you're doing and you know something crazy will happen it's like oh is, has he fought the bear yet <laughs> it's like has he had <laughs> has he slap boxed mike star yet <laughs> it's like has mike has michael kane got doused in oil yet it's like is John C. McGinley still alive? I need to see his face explode. (laughs) 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 But um, but yeah, Out for Justice was my Blu-ray pick. Um, That is legitimately, I think, my favorite Steven Seagal movie. Okay. Um, However, I think uh, On Deadly Ground is better representative of Steven Seagal and better representative of me. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's hard for me to recommend it, um, but... I don't know. He he's a very fascinating man to me. I have a book on my shelf called Sigology, um, which <laughs> covers the ins and outs of Seagal as a human being, his filmography, and his energy drink, um, which apparently uh, was on sale in the late '90s or something at like, really? Walmart's and stuff. Yeah, there was like multiple flavors of it. And it featured him striking a pose, like putting out his fist and wearing some sort of Chinese garb because. 
you need to understand Steven Seagal is a cultural chameleon. Any culture he comes into contact with, he usurps and he does it better than them. (laughs) (laughs) So like today he'll be Japanese, tomorrow he'll be Native American, but you know, right now he's basically Russian. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Have you ever seen him dance, by the way? I don't think so, no. (laughs) Okay, look it up. It's worth your time. <laughs> I was just going to say, if podcasts were around like in the 90s, and if my podcast was around in the 90s, I guarantee you the energy drink that we would drink on the show would be the Steven Seagal energy drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, we got to get you a sponsorship deal with Rain. Like, you yeah. Guys, you guys plug them so much. You're giving them free publicity. Yeah, I mean, I, it's great, and uh, I've tried getting, I've tried tweeting at them and uh, getting them to bite back, but I... I thought I could get them when they were just kind of launching, and uh, they're they're too big now. They're too. I've I've had Pop Secret, uh, not on my uh, show's Twitter, but on my own Twitter, I've uh, had them interact with me and send me some free swag. So maybe if we start munching on popcorn in the middle of the show, uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I'm sure your listeners will love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously, drinks work better than food for uh, trying to get a unofficial podcast sponsorship. <laughs> Oh, but I'll 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 help. I'll I'll supply you with more memes, and yeah. we'll, we'll make this happen. We'll get I the Cinema Speak that. sponsored by Rain Energy Drink. I appreciate <laughs> it. And every time you guys have one, you need to make sure to put that sucker up to the mic. Just right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I love the crack of the cake. <laughs> yeah, and then make sure to get get your Adam's apple right up on the mic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe cover up the burps though, because I know those things make you guys burpy. But <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be talking. It's like, that, and halt, it's to... like that halting kind of burp though, where it's yeah. like it sounds a little painful. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe don't don't share that fact. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll keep that to ourselves for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'm I'm actually uh kind of want to check this out on Deadly Ground. It's just it's funny because. Every time you describe a, a movie to me about how bad it is and describe all the bad things about it, it just makes me want to watch it more. So, yeah, I, I I'm like a reverse psychology marketer. <laughs> it's like the whole time I'm just telling you how bad it is, but in actuality, I'm selling it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it works. Uh, well, yeah, uh, it's hard for me to give it a legit recommend because you very much have to be in that state of mind. Like if you. If you're in like a mystery science theater mindset where it's like I'm ready to just like kind of half pay attention to what I'm watching and mm-hmm. probably talk shit about it the whole time, then yeah, it's a great movie for that. But if you're looking for legitimate entertainment, mm, there's a reason there's a reason why his it marks the turning, the turning point in his career. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea that he uh directed at all. I, it looks like I looked it up as this is only directing credit as well. Uh, I believe so. And yeah. oh fuck, I think the score was also by Basil Polidorus. Oh, um, there you go. Who I mentioned earlier, and it is actually a legit good score. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the only praise that was uh, given to the film upon release was Roger Ebert said, "I like the environmental stuff at the end because, <laughs> like the the last three four minutes of the movie is just Steven Seagal talking direct to camera about." environmental issues really and then credits <laughs> it was a message movie god damn it yeah, okay. <laughs> well you, you want to make sure you get your message out there that's the important thing so he's like yeah in between yeah. wrestling bears i want to make sure that we shut down the oil rigs <laughs> <laughs> oh beautiful beautiful yeah uh so brad uh ball is to you what do you got 
All right. Um, my next one, going back to another Criterion Collection film, this one from one of my favorite directors, maybe my all-time favorite director. It is David Lynch's Eraserhead, which, uh, you know, before I saw this movie, I don't think this was the first Lynch film I saw. I'm sure it wasn't. But, uh, you know, everybody talks about, oh, Eraserhead. It's so weird and abstract, and it's just, it's a tough one to watch. I... I mean, it is weird and it is abstract, but I've never had an issue watching it. I I love this movie. I think I really am just a David Lynch fanboy. I don't know what else to say. His films, to me, uh, just tap into something with their mix of, like, the humor with also the horror. I love his imagery. I mean, there's some just great imagery in this film. I I love how it looks. The black and white cinematography is amazing. And... um, yeah, it's just it's a very weird film. I really don't know who I would recommend it to. Um, but I mean, it's very much you could look at it as being about a lot of different things. Um, I think it's the, what I remember from it. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's kind of a, a look at fatherhood, and because uh, you know they obviously have that baby, which is not right. I guess is the way that you could describe it. <laughs> which I, I I think the the baby is amazing in this. Um, yeah, it's it's a great film, and uh, I just I think it's a, an incredible debut film from David Lynch. So, yeah, we gotta we gotta get Kyle in on more conversations with you, Brad, because I I know Kyle. I don't know if he's a David Lynch head uh, mm-hmm. like you are, because um, you you've brought up David Lynch on your show plenty of times, and yeah. he's a he's a beloved director for certain people. He's definitely an acquired taste. Um, I don't have much experience with his filmography. Um, and I don't know if Kyle does either, but I know Eraserhead was, I think, one of the first Blu-rays that Kyle bought. Okay. Um, I think I remember and, you guys mentioning that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he has a deep appreciation for Eraserhead, as, mm-hmm. as do I. Um, I had to watch it, I think, in a in a college class at one point. And uh, funny enough, the, the, the uh, instructor for that course, I think, worked on some of the puppetry in Dune or something. So he okay. like, had some familiarity with David sound like a cool guy <laughs> but, but um Eraserhead, yeah the the imagery it's it's very much a look and feel movie yeah and it's it's very puzzling like parts of it are utter like just quizzical <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like i don't really know what this is but uh just entrancing like the shots are so good the lighting holy shit um i like that sawdust effect they have that oh, halo so of good. light that yeah. follows the 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 principal character around I think Kyle told me that poor guy had to keep that haircut for like 15 years or something uh, for yeah. continuity. Uh, man. And and that guy's performance. I don't even know his name, but his performance is so layered and so interesting. Like, he just looks like he has to take the mother of all shits all the time. <laughs> like, he just looks so uncomfortable, and it makes me so nervous. But again, yeah. that's that Lynchian vibe where it's just like everything's just a little bit off kilter, and it's it's very rarely like straight up horrifying. But it's just, it puts you on edge, and you don't mm-hmm. really know why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the funny thing is the the actor, uh, Jack Nance, I think his name is, um, he's been in a bunch of other David Lynch stuff, and I didn't even realize that it was him until I kind of, like, started looking on IMDb or something. But he's uh, in Twin Peaks. He's one of the main characters in that show. It's just he doesn't look anything like it because he gets older, obviously, but also you don't really recognize him as the Eraserhead guy without the big hair, um, which, I mean, it's... <laughs> As far as movie haircuts go, it's got to be up there as one of the most iconic, right? <laughs> Easily. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
My maybe Kurt Russell's mullet in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Maybe uh, it's got to be up there with that. Uh, Big. <laughs> Kurt Russell's hair in anything, honestly. Like, That's true. <laughs> like the thing, Russell, yeah, he's got great hair in the thing. Kurt Russell, if you were to take just like a couple of images to represent him as a person, I want to say it would be the the most expedient route would just be a graphic of his hair. And yeah. everybody would be like, oh, it's Kurt. But the other <laughs> one would be him just kind of like putting his arms out like, what What am I going to do? Like, what do you want? Because <laughs> that's yeah, like his yeah. default arm position. <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, Eraserhead. I, my parents, uh, they they always had a funny story about. They went to see it on like a date night, and like they still talk about how like that was a dumb idea. <laughs> like, because <laughs> it's like, like it was supposed to be like get away from the kids night, and it's like that was dumb. <laughs> like it wasn't a bad movie, but that's not what I wanted in that moment. <laughs> it's kind of like, have you ever seen uh, the Squid and the Whale? I have not. Well, there's a scene where uh, Jesse Eisenberg, he wants to take this girl out on a date and Jeff Daniels plays his dad and the movie takes place in the 80s and Jeff Daniels kind of like tags along on their date and Jesse Eisenberg is like, yeah, dad, I guess you can come to the movies with us. And he's like, what are you guys going to go see? And they name like, I don't know, Back to the Future or some like big popular 80s movie. And he's like, I hear Blue Velvet is supposed to be really interesting. And it just cuts <laughs> to them sitting in the theater while uh, Frank is going off. And yeah, it's a pretty good gag. Yeah, that's pretty solid. That's and it uh, kinda... basically happened to your uh, to your parents in real life. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's almost in the same vein as like yeah. Well, no, not in the same vein, but it's like I can't help but think a taxi driver going to the porno theater <laughs> on the date. And it's like, uh, you you yeah. think this is socially acceptable? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oh, um, about the baby, I uh, I think I read somewhere that like there's there's still questions in the air about like how the baby effects were done. Oh yeah. I, I I feel like there's still a little bit of mystery and intrigue surrounding those makeup effects. And I always like that kind of stuff. It's like, man, yeah. got I got to know, but I I just can't. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing quite like it. And you could say that with a lot of Lynch's films. Like there's some, you know, you've seen some directors try and kind of capture that Lynchian imagery, but there's something with him that he just it's 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 a dream logic man he just he's living in dream logic and he just knows how to put it on screen um it's really hard to quantify honestly yeah because like i i blink my eyes and i I think for a second it's like you know sometimes the cinematography looks just like so bog standard but then it's not at all like Mm -hmm. but then it kind of like tricks you it kind of like wavers back and forth between like utterly relatable and, and straightforward to just being like off kilter and like what the fuck was that <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah yeah um before we move on dune what are your feelings on his dune i was not a fan i've only seen it once i was not a big fan of it i will say that um i mean it just it didn't really feel like that much of a david lynch film obviously it's kind of just him neutered down by the studio um, but I'm curious to revisit it. I, cause I've only seen it the one time. Maybe I'd like it a little more. I mean, I'm force feeding as many Lynch films as I can to a five out of five. That one, I, I don't think I can ever force that one to a five out of five, but, uh, I can maybe force it up to maybe a three, uh, maybe somewhere around there. <laughs> I think the most, I think the uphill battle of Dune it, in terms of like giving it the highest rating possible <clears throat> is that yes, the effects work was very very good and very a lot of it was i want to say kind of experimental like some of the um i want to say 
it was computer, not optical, but the the shield effect they have um, with like the geometric shapes and stuff. That was mm-hmm. pretty advanced for the day, and like some of the some of the landscapes and whatnot, some really solid miniature work. But some of those compositing shots, it's like I'm sorry, that's unforgivable. Yeah, like, even for its day, that was probably like what 1983 or something. Like even for its day, it's like. Mm, seen better (laughs) like and you know so much of it is like it's not a character film at all um which feels like a weird choice because i want to say david lynch is pretty solid about getting peeling back the layers of his characters and stuff but everything Mm -hmm. feels very like i don't know sterile i guess i mean um, it's just funny like thinking of dune with the rest of his films when i'm thinking of his his filmography i um i like don't mean to do it but i just completely just skip over dune in my head i almost don't even consider it one of his films because it's so unlike the rest of what he does um like thematically visually i mean there's some lynch elements in there but it just yeah i i just i mean obviously it is his film so gotta factor that in when ranking them and everything but yeah i just i completely like, almost disregard it. it maybe it's kind of like david fincher and alien 3 where it's like it's not really mine anymore um, yeah i which version of it did you see because there's like three four different versions of his dune what whatever is on the most recent blu-ray release i guess i i'm actually not too sure I don't know what that means then, because uh, I saw, I want to say, the director's cut that has, like, the 10-minute exposition dump in the opening, oh, yeah? where it's it's just Virginia Madsen in space just saying, this is what things are. Like, this is so-and-so. <laughs> this is this place. This is the spice. It's like, are we going to have a movie, or is this the movie? <laughs> but, um. Yeah, I I don't know if there is like a generally accepted good version of the movie, um, but that happens sometimes. And actually, that's something I find very fascinating. Is I think we talked about before, like the idea of a like not a not a perfect. There's never a perfect version of a movie. No, actually, I think I talked about it on a different podcast where like if you ask me, Godzilla 1985 and 84. Um, between the two of them some of the changes made to the international release of the movie if you stitched those into the original japanese cut i think you'd actually have a better movie overall but individually they're both flawed in their own way Mm -hmm. um and i want to say dune's probably the same way where it's like in terms of pacing and stuff like that maybe the shorter version's better but then you don't have any fucking clue what's going on (laughs) it's like but then you need to ask yourself do you really care? <laughs> like, yeah. or are we just here for the music and the worms? Yeah, um, it's tough. Sting in a speedo. Yeah, sting. Sting in a speedo is actually the selling point for that movie, probably. Yeah, Sting is definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. Just, just having him in there is pretty great. He um, needed to do his war cries when he was knife fighting. Zip zap zoop. Yeah. Zip zap zoop. Have you, um, have you watched any of uh, David Lynch's weather reports? I have not. I would probably say in ranking his filmography, I'd put his weather reports above Dune. Um, but yeah, every day he posts, uh, he he just says what the weather is on his YouTube channel. And he's been doing it for a couple months now in quarantine. And it's, I've, I've watched every single one. It's amazing. Like he's just sitting in his office and he just looks out the window and tells you what the weather is today. I think I would like it just for his accent. Yeah. <laughs> like, was he from Wisconsin? Wisconsin? Somewhere <laughs> in the Midwest. Yeah. 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 And, and, 
he i loved him on twin peaks by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. like as an actor he brought it like that was fun <laughs> yeah yeah is he back in the third season oh yeah he's got a big role in the the twin peaks the return so awesome i i need to see that because you talked it up quite a bit on your show and i really liked both seasons of twin peaks even with some of the bumps in the road in the second one yeah i mean just having david lynch direct all 18 episodes of the, the third season is just i mean it's basically like you're watching i know some people already say this but it's like you're watching a twin peaks movie essentially because it's one director the whole time which i think is pretty great and it clearly is his vision whether you like all of it or not there's no denying that it's exactly what he wanted no i i make it a point to keep that in mind because i Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed my time with that series and i'd like to finish it yeah um yeah well that being said uh finishing my list here my nifty name stack uh i have an r film uh, well, an R, R series, an entire franchise, actually. All right, all right. And that would be uh, Rocky. Hey, there you go. Yeah, so I have a Blu-ray box set, uh, including uh, Rocky through Rocky Balboa. So all mm-hmm. six proper Rocky films, not including the Creed films, which are very, very good in their own right. However, they don't start with an R. <laughs> um <laughs> Rocky's very, very, very special to me. Um, I've probably brought it up on the on the show plenty of times. Um, like the running gag was always that like Rocky was my dad. Um, so like growing growing up, like there'd be a lot of times when like Dad would commandeer the TV and stuff. Like he had a phrase he would use, where it's like, "Is this a good one?" So like I'd be watching a cartoon or something, and he'd be, he'd like poke me and be like, "Is this a good one?" And that's code for. <laughs> baseball is on and i would like to watch it (laughs) and so so like from a very early age i knew that you don't answer that question you just hand him the remote (laughs) but sometimes you know he'd like flip a couple channels like getting to baseball or whatever and then like rocky was on like tnt and tbs and like usa all those channels like sylvester stallone and arnold schwarzenegger movies were on all the time and then later on, like, Die Hard and stuff. But, like, whenever Rocky was on, though, like, Dad would kind of, like, stop because my dad's from Philadelphia and a lot of the original Rocky movie in particular were, were filmed, like, basically in his neighborhood and, like, locales that he was very familiar with. Um, so it was always very nostalgic for him and it was always fun to watch it with him because, like, he'd always point shit out. Like, he's like, oh, I knew that guy. He's like, oh, I tried to kill that guy. <laughs> like, like, no, he pointed out in the credits. He was like, look for Jimmy Zazzarino. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, yep, Jimmy Zazzarino, one of the guys around the fire barrels that sings the take you back. <laughs> do, 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 take you back. <laughs> but, yeah, Rocky as a as a franchise and just a character in general because, like, the real heart of the franchise is just the character. I mean, the first film, of course, you know, won Best Picture and all that. It's a mm-hmm. tremendous film in many, many ways, has excellent writing and performances, all that jazz. But just the character of Rocky Balboa is very, very, very special to me because yeah, I can't help but project a little on that. But just like watching the journey of the character and the franchise has like been a lifelong journey for me because like I, I watched all of those movies on repeat like Rocky one through four, because five didn't exist, depending on my mood. Like, <laughs> like, good like, call, good call. Yeah, Rocky five is mm, it's the redheaded stepchild, and then some. Uh, but then Rocky Balboa came out in two thousand six, and I remember me and my brothers were just like, "Whoa, 
what? Like, of course, a Rocky movie came out in our lifetime. Yeah, we got to go to the theater. And shocker of all shockers, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then Creed, the, the resurrection of the franchise in a lot of ways. Man, uh, I, I've talked to you about this before. Uh, holy shit, those movies are way better than they need to be. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was always shocked by that. That's like, I, I don't actually... I have so much love for this franchise in my heart that I don't actually need these movies to be good. I just need them to exist. Like I'm that I'm that blind with my adoration of them. But mm-hmm. shit, Creed Creed spoke to me on many many levels. Where it's like it's like oh this is the study this is the story of like of millennial middle class people basically. <laughs> where yeah. It's like oh this this is this is the story of people who don't have to do to live the life that Rocky did. Cause like the story of Rocky was always that he was kind of like this hangdog character that it's like Harry, Harry Dean Stanton, but in shape and he, <laughs> and he punches well, <laughs> but, um, but like Adonis Creed, his story was, was that no, he comes from means. The only problem is that he grows up with this hit. He has this like burden on him and that he grew up without a father and he has this fight in him. So he, lashes out and fights in real life even though he has no means he has no need to from an economic standpoint mm-hmm. which is usually why people take up boxing and stuff it's like man that is relatable because it's like yeah my life is pretty comfortable and pretty easy for the most part but like there are plenty of times where it, man it would be nice to have like just a like an easily tangible problem in front of me that if I hit it hard enough, it'll go away. (laughs) But unfortunately life isn't like that. And I think that's, that's where the strength of the story comes from is that it's like, this is a, this is a guy that is punching ghosts and makes do in like being as you can't actually punch a ghost. Although, Maybe you can, Brad. I can't. But (laughs) if I can, I I I wouldn't know it. So. But um, have you have you seen the Rocky movies? Yeah, I I know I'd seen the original long long time ago. I so I've seen the original multiple times. But uh, just recently, in the last year or two, I went through and watched the entire franchise, and I was a big fan of pretty much all of them. Like you said, except the fifth one. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, like boxing movies as a concept don't interest me i don't know what every time i'm like like a boxing movie comes out i'm like oh i don't know boxing movie i don't know but i'd say 90 percent of the time i end up liking the boxing movie like i even like uh that i guess it's not boxing but that warrior movie i enjoyed um i don't know for some reason something doesn't appeal to me about the sports these fighting sports but in movie format they almost uh always hit something with me and the rocky franchise of course uh i think it's just the underdog tale of it all just uh it resonates with a lot of people yeah absolutely and it, it's funny you mention that because like kyle's always kyle's always rolling his eyes at me because he's he's not too much into like martial arts or like like fighting movies as he usually calls them mm-hmm. and i make him watch a lot of them <laughs> but um it's it's something that for me it's like why not <laughs> right but, but but i you know and as i meet more people in my life it's like oh not everybody's into that <laughs> but, it's like, but yeah i i think uh rocky just like i said the, the character is kind of what pulls it through and and mm-hmm. by the end like combination of the score and just the the rhythm of those movies like i think rocky 3 is probably my favorite um, Rocky Four is the most watchable easily. Yeah, 
because it's just one big long music video um i think the structure of three appeals to me the most because it 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 has the most it has the most like energy guiding the story as opposed to just like willy-nilly energy being tossed all over the place like in the fourth one um but yeah like something about like the swelling of the music and just like the relatability of stallone's performance by the time you get to the final bell of of the inevitable fight at the end um, like you find yourself caring and it's like mm-hmm. i didn't think i would but i do and and same with warrior where it's like it's the story of a family that just happens to involve solving their problems with punching yeah um, and by the end you're kind of swept up in it and i, I actually yeah. do think warrior is a pretty solid movie yeah um, i liked it a lot when i saw it i've only seen it the one time but i thought it was good yeah i was uh we were looking at the blu-ray calendar uh recently uh kyle and i and uh i think uh the way back is the same gavin o'connor i want to say yeah the same director. yeah because you guys also mentioned that he did miracle too i think right yeah so the apparently sports one. sports dramas are his thing and apparently he's very so. good at them <laughs> yeah yeah i am curious to check the out the way back, back. i think i've heard it's pretty good um but yeah and after me, I watched the the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan TV show. So I'm I'm in a basketball mood right now. I got to watch this Ben uh, Ben Affleck movie, I guess. Well, it sounds like nothing can stand up to the Last Dance, though. Probably not. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> you got to petition Letterbox, get them to let it in there as a I don't know an honorary movie or something. Oh, I mean it's there. I could log it, but on, on my principles, I uh, I won't log it because it's a TV show. So okay, but, well that, that's yeah. that's. That's that's very good of you, Brad. Although I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> we get to the end of 2020, you're like, "Fuck it, it's the best movie of the year." <laughs> I, that, actually, the thought has crossed my mind. I'm like, you know, any other year, no way. But I'm like, eh, maybe this year. We'll see. When I get to the end of the year, I might have to. Uh, but well, no idea if it's going to be the best of your stack, Brad. But uh, you want to close us out here? Yeah. Um, definitely not the best of my stack uh you know why not too many options but uh i decided to go with this one as kind of a catch-all for quite a few blu-rays in my collection and i think it's something that you might have stuff to say about it is uh you only live twice the uh james bond film which uh i'm maybe halfway through my bondathon would have been finished by now if uh the uh, no time to die hadn't gotten delayed but it gave me a lot more time to watch them so i'm spacing them out a little bit more but um this one you only live twice bond film starring sean connery i i really enjoyed this one um there it is in some ways more dated than a lot of the other ones this is the one where um bond becomes uh asian at some point um and uh that is one of the most hilariously offensive moments uh, in any of these films. But I think uh, there's some really good action in this film. And the production design, who I can't remember who does the production. Ken Adams does the production design. And he did a lot of these movies. And one thing that I feel like not a lot of people talk about is the production design in these early Bond films is amazing. This Ken, Ken Adams, his production design, like uh, Blofeld's lair in the, this one, um, the underwater sub base and the spy who loved me. I mean, there's just really some amazing sets. And uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, Donald Pleasance plays Blofeld, and I think he is probably my favorite Blofeld out of the bunch. And uh, it's a it's 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 a solid film. It's very good. It's not the best Bond film, but uh, you know I think I've only got like five or six Y films in my collection. So you know, figured I'd yeah, th- I mean, throw the Bond one in there. I mean, it's it's a solid one. Is that the one where he had like the gyrocopter? 
I yep, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Which that's a it's fun like, scene. Yeah, that's kind of a highlight of the movie. Um, yeah, th- this was like I want to say I want to say Toho or like like they had some sort of collaboration going on with Japanese studios um, for mm-hmm. this one. Um, one of the, the Bond girl basically like she was in several several Toho productions. She was in one of the Godzilla movies like five years before this one. So it's like as yeah. a kid, it's like oh okay <laughs> this is like lady who was hanging out with king kong is now with uh james Wan. <laughs> cool <laughs> um yeah this one the production design i want to say i uh, had the most bearing on austin powers like the oh, volcano yeah. layer and stuff yeah yeah and even the design of blofeld it's like dr evil is very much the donald pleasant's iteration of blofeld which mm-hmm. i agree i think this is i think this is uh blowfeld prime basically <laughs> um diamonds are forever it's like i, I don't know what that is but it's, yeah. it's a performance diamonds are forever is a special movie um it's not it's like it's a the on deadly ground of james bond movies where it's like it's not like die another day where it's like oh this is just not good um diamonds are forever is like this is good bad like th- this knows it's bad and it's, <laughs> I don't know. they're I, having I, fun with it i i think uh, i might i might lean more towards it's bad bad i, I think right now <laughs> it's probably out of the ones i've watched in order my least favorite i do think some of the um pierce brosnan ones might trump it in terms of going lower but uh right now in the ones i've watched i would put it at the bottom okay that, that's fair it, it is it is bad like in you can't argue that like diamonds are forever is is very bad but i find it very enjoyable because of its badness in some ways um Mm -hmm. but yeah you only live twice is one that i it's one of the early bonds that i've probably seen the least to be honest yeah um i think i saw goldfinger the most because that was the one who's always on tv yeah um thunderball was tough thunderball was a slog as a child because of the diving scenes yeah um I, I loved some of the early stuff, like the jetpack and the the motorcycle with the rockets on it and stuff. That shit was cool. But um, by the time we get underwater, it's like, oh, we're gonna be I, underwater I don't for a half hour, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I could ever rewatch that movie. Just knowing that we're gonna get to that and have to watch it for a half hour, twenty minutes, or whatever. Like, yeah, it's it, it's a slog. But I still like that movie quite a bit just because i think the first half of the film is really solid but yeah, yeah that absolutely. last sequence is r- way too long just way too long well i i want to say like this is me talking out my ass i haven't done any research but i want to say there were a lot of movies around that time where just the novelty of using underwater camera equipment was probably that was considered a special f- effect unto itself kind of yeah mm-hmm. so you're seeing the equivalent of like uh independence day uh nuking la or whatever yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. this is this is our special effects budget for the james bond movie so like it was probably a lot more thrilling at the time but from a pacing standpoint it's like dude a punch thrown underwater is not the same as a punch thrown above i'm <laughs> sorry it just it, it lacks the velocity it's just not as interesting even even uh Jackie Chan, first strike. Even even that underwater sequence, it's pretty good. I like the bit with the sucking their thumbs when they cut themselves and the sharks mm-hmm. are around. Yeah. But even that, it's like, can we get out of the tank? Can we can we can we get out of the tank, please? <laughs> <laughs> like, are we I, I done? was having like PTSD flashbacks of Thunderball when I was watching First Strike. I was like, oh 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 no oh no, how long <laughs> are we gonna be here? 
I'm just, I'm just picturing Brad just kind of shaking his seat, going, "It's <laughs> happening again." <laughs> Be like two times in like a span of like four months that I would have to watch <laughs> underwater action sequences. But I, I didn't mind the Jackie Chan one. I thought that one was all right. That one was kind of fun. Yeah, it, it's brief. Yeah. It's it's thankfully very brief. And like I said, there's some clever beats in the choreography that it keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, You Only Live Twice is, is a weird one for me because it, it it has a good reputation. I like the theme song a lot. Yeah, it's, one it's of a good the, one. It's one of the better ones. Um, but for whatever reason, I just did not see it as much as the other ones. So it's not as familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, all the Sean Connery ones, even, even Never Say Never Again, I... I actually kind of dig that movie a little bit like it's it's a fun little james bond movie it had uh, its moments uh, like, yeah unofficial james bond movie yeah. <laughs> um which is very expensive on blu-ray because of that <laughs> yeah it was on uh i think it might have gotten taken off but it was on hulu and i made sure to watch it while it was still on there because i was like there's no way i'm spending that much on the blu-ray <laughs> yeah it's a i mean it has a shit reputation because of the production history and whatnot and the mm-hmm. fact that Sean Connery was, you know, old and probably not too excited to be working on it. Yeah. But overall, I think it's a solid package. Like, it, I, I'm i not disappointed that it exists. Yeah. But, no. but yeah, I, I'm glad you, you found a way to bring James Bond into the mix because, I mean, I like talking Bond. Like, yeah. Bond's great. <laughs> and I really like on these uh, Blu-ray releases, they've all got, like these making of uh, documentaries, which are, I think, uh, old. So they just, you know, brought them onto the blu-ray but they're all like exactly a half hour and i mean just you know for the bond films i I like bond films a lot but i wouldn't want a two-hour making of documentary feature on every single one of these a half hour just to get some behind the scenes history i think is perfect so i've been going through and when i watch the movie been watching that half hour making of feature which has been nice so i mean james bond movies are kind of structured like traditionally they're structured in such a way that's kind of perfect for putting together a making of package Mm because it's like uh, you need to know about the villains. You need to know about the production design. You need to know about the theme song slash the music, which John Barry did most of the music for the early ones anyway. Um, and what the gadgets, uh, maybe wardrobe, although yeah, that's if we don't have time for that, that's fine. <laughs> and yeah, it's like it's so rooted in tradition that's like I could see it being like kind of a comfort comfortable format for each little mini documentary. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, I mean, um, did they? Maybe you can tell me because, like, maybe it's more fresh in your mind. But there's like two big names in a title design in Hollywood around this time is like Maurice Binder, and then one other fella, and I can't remember which one of them did most of the James Bond movies. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna remember it. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Point, point should, is, whoever they, they are, we we acknowledge your your contribution. We just don't know your name right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean they name drop him in every single one of these making of uh, features, so I should know. But um, well, one of them worked quite a bit with Hitchcock, and uh, mm-hmm. I think also did the title sequence for Casino. Um, yeah. But point point I'm trying to make here is that the title sequence for any James Bond movie is always going to be like one of those things. If you don't do it well it's going to color the rest of the movie. So yeah. don't fuck it up. <laughs> also, uh, kind of worth noting, uh, Roald Dahl, the author Roald Dahl, wrote the screenplay for this one. So, oh, really? Yeah, I kind of saw wow. that in the credits. I'm like, oh, that's kind of odd. All right. And then uh, 
James Bond encounters a giant flying peach. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does and fly in one, so yeah, maybe that's the dollism. Yeah, and a witch's coven and a, a big friendly giant and all that business. Right. <laughs> uh, so I guess that concludes our uh, nifty name stacks. But uh, Brad, did you want to go over any potential alternates that you want to spotlight or anything like that? Yeah, um, well, I'd already kind of mentioned the bird with the crystal plumage for B. Um, I did kind of think about uh, throwing another criterion in there, but I didn't want to have three criterions. Uh, for Y, uh, E to Mom, hang on, E to Mama Tambien, um, which is an Alfonso Cuaron film, which I really enjoy. Um, and uh, I thought for A, also, um, the Alien Anthology is a pretty awesome collection, which I could have thrown in there, so... Yeah, I, I mean, if I had an A, that would probably be my choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, my alternates would be, uh, I mentioned Steven Seagal, Out for Justice, which honestly I do think is his probably his best one. Um, I like watching him beat up William Forsyth. That's kind mm-hmm. of fun. Um, for my V movie, I had The Valley of Guanji, <laughs> which okay. is a Ray Harryhausen uh, Cowboys versus Dinosaurs movie. Oh, nice. Um, Stop motion animation. Uh, Just on a conceptual level, it's brilliant. Uh, Mm -hmm. How could you go wrong? (laughs) Stop motion dinosaurs versus fucking cowboys? Fuck yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I don't own it, but for O, there's a Japanese movie called uh, Okuribito, um, or Departures uh, was the um, uh, international title. Uh, I've only seen that movie once, but it stuck with me. Um, It's about... uh, a cellist in Japan who loses his job with the orchestra and ends up becoming an apprentice for traditional Japanese burial ceremonies. Mm. Um, And handling dead bodies is considered taboo in that culture. Um, So the story is about him learning these rituals and kind of like, I don't know, learning a lot about himself. I'm, I'm doing a very bad job about explaining the movie, but it's a beautiful movie. Um, The, soundtrack is maybe one of the very best i've ever heard oh wow um which is a huge part of why it stuck with me Uh, the closing credits in particular one of the best pieces of music i've heard on film um and yeah i only saw it once in the theater um it's one of the very few movies i've seen in the theater with most of my family like you and my grandma who have been to the theater with like once or twice in my whole life she was there um i don't like i said i don't own the movie in any capacity but it definitely is something i really want to see again and it's an old movie. And uh, like I said, uh, Edward Scissorhands was my alternate in case uh, you decided to throw my DVDs out the window. <laughs> Get that trash out of here. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, well, that being said, I think we're about wrapped up here. So uh, that was our nifty name stacks. Um, Brad, uh, do you want to plug your uh, your podcast here? Let the folks at home know how they can find your show and where they can find you on the social medias? Yeah, uh, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. So you can, wherever you listen to podcasts, search for Cinema Speak and you can find us that way um, on Twitter. You can follow us there at the Cinema Speak, Instagram, Cinema Speak podcast, or uh, cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. You can find us there as well. Okay, thanks so much for that, Brad. Uh, man, I got to get better about like being quick on the draw with that kind of stuff. I'm terrible. So um, we do, in fact, have a website. If you want to check us out, uh, you can find... Uh, all of our episodes listed on catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter account at Catching Cinema, 
and we also have a Instagram account at Catching Up on Cinema. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for joining us on another uh, Tales from the Shelf, uh, the Nifty Name Stack Edition. Um, this is more than likely going to be a monthly thing going forward. So uh, I guess we'll have Brad ag- again in another month here. So uh, thanks so much for joining me again, Brad. It's always a pleasure. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, anytime I can talk about Blu-rays, I'm in. So you don't need to convince me. All right. Well, maybe we'll have you on more often then. <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye.